And welcome back to post-game content. This is Michael, the normal Michael, not the one that you thought was going to be here. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm blown away too. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How am I just meeting normal Michael? I don't know, man. It's it's been a wild it's been a wild ride. <laughs> this last uh, what five years, six years we've known each other. This is I've this been, is the I've real been hanging me. out with evil Michael this entire time. <laughs> Yeah, see, I can't even conjure up the real evil laugh. That's how bad No, it that is. was pretty pathetic. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, with me, as always, I have uh, Max. Uh, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. How are you doing, Michael? Um, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. Hanging in there. It's been... <laughs> I know we just talked about it off, off live or off cam or whatever you call it, off air. There we go. Um, there it is. It's just been a busy month or two so uh, we missed last month um, as August is probably one of the big busiest months in my life I have multiple birthdays I have to tend to it's an anniversary I took vacation went on a cruise uh, started buying a house started yeah just a lot just a lot of things so um, I would say I'm sorry for not getting an episode out but I mean quite honestly it didn't even cross my mind for the entire month. So at a certain point, it's more about you guys than us. Like we've let you down enough times that you should really know what our schedule is. <laughs> yeah, the whole fool me once, fool me twice gambit. Yeah, you know, definitely. You know what? Here, so you know what? Fuck you! <laughs> How dare there, you? There it is. There it is. <laughs> like we said before, wouldn't be wouldn't be a post game content without it. <laughs> um, anyway, sub to the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah so um listen max i know it's been it's been hectic um i just need to tell you something before we jump into talking about more dark souls today mm-hmm. and um and before we do that i'll talk about why we're talking about more dark souls today but i just wanted to tell you this if you have any inkling or uh desire to go out and pick up pikmin 4 on the switch um, go to the eShop and don't just don't buy it. <laughs> it's it's not worth it. If you want the game to essentially play itself for you, then you know go for it. Um, or you could go to YouTube and get the same experience by watching someone else play it. That's not a terrible thought. Well, look, it, uh, let's say I do that. Am I being rewarded with a, a rich and fulfilling narrative? Is, are, you, are there these 3D like rounded characters that are going to take me on an emotional journey? Do you ever get anything to that that extent with any Nintendo game? God, no, not even not even one time. Um, it's been a hot minute. Let's be no, real. No, not even. Nope. <laughs> I just continue to be let down, and maybe my expectations are growing, um, and maybe I, you know, cherish this show so much that like I'm looking for like rich depth in everything that I play, and I should just try to enjoy things, but. I think my I think my tastes are just changing, you know. But um they're saving grace. You know, picked up Pikmin one and two that also came out on Switch and Switch and it reminded me that I was right. I'll just say that, because Pikmin one still slaps just like it did the day <laughs> it came out. So but uh That's good at least. Yeah, so that's how I'm doing and that's where my head is right now. Um anything anything you're playing that you wanna let everyone know? Armored about, core. Yeah. I, for the I love mean, of God. 
<laughs> this is going to be like, Michael, I know you listed a whole bunch of shit that you're doing and I'm exactly as busy as you only because I've just been playing Armored Core. Mm. Like, that's it. That's fair. That's fair. Well, I um, mean, you've, you haven't made it not clear, I should say. Because I wouldn't say we've talked about Armored Core in depth on the show, but you have expressed your your love for Armored Core. Like, you're one of the people that was playing it whenever no one else was, right? Uh, like, here and there. Um, and I did go back and play some of the, like, uh, original games in the lead-up to AC6. The fun thing about the series is that it soft reboots like every other game. So there are some thematic things that, that carry on. Um, generally, if you're a protagonist in an Armored Core game, you're not going to be a good person. Um, and you just sort of have to wrestle. Yeah. You're asked to do a lot of shit by corporations and you either have to like, you know, stop playing the game or accept that you're going to be a war criminal for cash. Like that's kind of, that's the deal. Um, Hmm. but how they play has, you know, gone over so many different generations of, of console games that, um, you know, when they reinvent, they really do control differently. It's really interesting. Um, so this one is far and away, I think, the most accessible. Um, and I'm glad to see that it's gotten the reception that it has so far. It seems like it's gotten a lot of popularity, despite being what is generally considered to be a niche genre. So I'm mm-hmm. excited about that. I think what is the most interesting about this game is that there are very, very, very few companies out there that just carry a pedigree, like from software. Mm-hmm. where you have an entirely new, I shouldn't say new, but an entirely separate franchise that existed long before the Souls genre did that has just been lying dormant. And there are so many people that have such faith in a company that they're willing to give this game a shot and have never touched an Armor Core game ever. Like, yeah, th- that's incredible. The, well, beyond that, that like... The, the creative balls to take, like, this formula of the Souls <laughs> series, right, that's that's carried you to international stardom, like, has to be on the short list for one of the greatest development, developing studios, like, of the modern age, I would say. Yeah. Take all of that and just shelve it when they feel like, you know, okay, <laughs> we've said that. Let's say something new now. Like, you know, they could run, we could be playing Dark Souls 6 at this point. Um, but if they feel like their creative interests lie elsewhere, you know, I respect the hell out of it. And it does play very different than, than other FromSoft, more modern FromSoft games. Um, I think that's something that, uh, other studios should look at is what I'd say. Do you think that from software as a whole was waiting until they had a strong pedigree to release this game or to, I should say to revisit the armor core franchise, or do you think it was, they had dark souls and Elden rings and uh, Sekiro on the docket. And then they had an opening and they're like, let's do this. Like, or do you think it literally was because Miyazaki was looking at the, the pedigree and the talent of a studio and was just waiting for the right time to 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 pull it off. It's yeah. you never know with a guy like that because I know. I think you, there's two possibilities. Uh the first is that um 
you know, I think they've said what they wanted to say with the Dark Souls series, and they said what they wanted to say with Elden Ring. Um, and this has obviously been a franchise that's a passion project for for the studio. Um, you know, they had the resources and the attention to put out something that they really cared about. My hmm. tinfoil hat theory is that Dark Souls and Elden Ring and uh, Demon Souls were created specifically to draw attention to the studio so that they could make Armored Core a success. Yeah. Yeah, that that's exactly <laughs> what I think as well. I mean, it it is cool if you go back and listen to like uh, or read, I should say read, but read the interviews with Miyazaki where he was talking about how they virtually had no faith in uh, Demon Souls whatsoever, and yeah. they essentially explained it as like a dark fantasy game to get it off the ground, but they didn't mention anything about the difficulty or the combat system or anything like that. And I mean, obviously everyone knows where we are today with that, but no, that I'm, I'm excited to see armored core thriving. Um, and I'm excited that it's finally in the limelight, but it'll just have to still sit behind front mission as being the best mech game in series. So get <laughs> wrecked. Sonic bitch. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Sonic Adventure, which I think I've established on this show is the greatest game of all time, specifically because it's a perfect cosmic gumbo of all these different genres. <laughs> uh, I, side note, I think it was, I don't remember when it was. I mean, I was a kid, PlayStation 2, but my my grandparents knew nothing about video games. But they bought us a PlayStation. I think it was a PlayStation 2. Um mm-hmm. Didn't know anything about what games we like, so they just went when they bought us the PlayStation. My parents were mad because they didn't want us to have newer consoles or anything because, you know, they thought we could spend our mon- their money on better things. They just wanted um, you to get really good at Atari. <laughs> no, we didn't have an Atari. We had a, we had a Super Nintendo. Okay. Um, which time wrong wasn't terrible, but we had a Super Nintendo when the GameCube was out. So it was. They were like, young man, Yoshi's <laughs> Island is still unbeaten. You're not getting anything else until you rescue that dinosaur. Listen, to be fair, those games were a lot better than most of the games on the GameCube. So. I love I love the GameCube. I do, but look at the look at the catalog between the GameCube and the Super Nintendo, and I think that yeah. it's it's kind of a wash. It's a lot so. of it's a lot of bangers. No lie. But uh, yeah, he he came home. I think it was Front Mission Three on PlayStation mm-hmm. Two. I could be wrong, um, but he brought it to us, and I was just like, random game, never played. Popped it <laughs> in, and I was like, this is crap. Like as like a as like a kid that's going from like a like Diddy Kong Racing and uh, you know Donkey Kong Country One and Two and mm-hmm. you know Super Mario World jumping directly into Front Mission Three and I'm just like I have no idea what's going on and I'm oh, done geez. with this. <laughs> that and Wild Arms. I remember he got his Wild Arms as well. I love so. the idea that your your grandfather is a closeted mech fan. <laughs> I, lo- I love that this keeps happening to well, you. Now, now he's a casketed mech fan. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, R.I.P. Grandpa. R.I.P. This one goes out to you, Grandpa. I'll always remember that Christmas he came home from the pawn shop and was like, I got this Steel Battalion game. <laughs> no lie. I had, I bought Steel Battalion off of one of my friends uh, with the big crate and everything. Yeah. 
Still have it somewhere. Don't know where it is. <laughs> that thing is worth a ton of money. It's in storage and some storage unit somewhere, I'm sure. But I probably won't ever see it again, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but yeah, that game, dude, too hard, too difficult. Never beat the first level in that game. I can't beat the controller, man. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. But um, anyway, Max, um, backing up here to address what I said I was going to address. So yes, uh, in... June? July? July? Yeah, in July, we released a Dark Souls episode. Sorry, it's been a long, long month and a half uh, when we had Jason on. And thank you to Jason for coming on. Really enjoyed having you as a guest. Um, Episode was fantastic. Um, However, Dark Souls is, as we've just discussed, probably one of the most prolific video games to release in the modern era um, and definitely holds a special place in both of our hearts. So while we did talk about it a lot, like uh, we covered Dark Souls in a a very broad fashion, uh, its impact on the gaming community um, and some specifics of the things that we liked about the game and um, how it made us feel, la la la, stuff like that, um, which is all great conversation. But I didn't feel we gave it the, I didn't want to say a good treatment. We definitely gave it a good treatment, but we didn't give it the traditional post-game content treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. So typically I would move on from it if it was any other video game because the episode was great. But I feel like because of how much adoration that we hold for Dark Souls, that it's worth just doing a follow-up and just discussing it even more. Plus, who doesn't want more Dark Souls content? So, and if you're not, if you don't want more Dark Souls content, then just I've leave. got terrible like, news. We're going to bring it up on every episode anyway, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if it's just not for you, then just don't listen. So, oh, yeah, it's going to happen every time. So, and the, the, these are the episodes that I'm going to take to dog on Russ because he doesn't listen to the episodes that he doesn't play the games for, which is totally fine. Um, but it's a good opportunity to tell him to get wrecked and to suck it. So, <laughs> Um, but I'll never hear this. So, <laughs> and he will, neither will anyone that knows any, him. So <laughs> any other messages you want to send out to people that aren't listening, Michael? <laughs> uh, this one goes, I out already to gave Barb. a shout out to your grandfather who clearly isn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> God, we're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're, <laughs> If you have a bad week, just remember that you made that joke. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so when we were talking last week, um, at the end of the episode, we took the opportunity to talk about like You Died, the book that Jason co-wrote with Keza, and then Tuna Fairweather released. I'm currently reading through Abyssal Archive, which is... um, how do I want to say this? A monumental task. <laughs> I opened up this book and I was so excited to read this. And it's written by Loki, one of the one of the foremost authoritarian, unofficial sources of Dark Souls lore that does exist in uh, of all time. I think uh, it's fair. Vati works with that, them, right? And then us. I think of the other two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, the big uh, the big four as they call us. <laughs> But he, he wrote this book, and I was excited to get it. I've read some of his stuff on his website. Um, 
and I opened it up and I've, I started reading the first page and I closed it and I said, I'm not smart enough to read this book. Like it, it just reads <laughs> like a, a hardcore, like PhD thesis, uh, about dark souls and I'm like reading through this and he's explaining logically how like dark and light convene and within the rock, like there's fire and it creates a soul. And I'm just like, I can't understand this. <laughs> like it's so far beyond my level of comprehension, but uh, I'm chugging through it anyway. But like, it just, it just reminded me like how deep and thoughtful these games are and i know we talked about um last time we met there's a lot that can be said with how little dark souls gives us um and then so in that minimalism you can take the opportunity to expound on things um is it an accident that dark souls lore is so shallow yet so deep shallow in the sense of what's presented but deep in the sense of what's there or is that was that the intention? Do you think? Do you think that that somewhere deep in the mind of Miyazaki that there is a definitive answer there, or do you think he doesn't even know? Um. So we touched on this a little bit last time when Jason was here, and I think one of the things that I really thought about of a, a good point of comparison for how I view Dark Souls lore is almost like how people read tarot cards. Um, tarot cards don't have, you know, they have these very striking and powerful sort of imagery to them. Um, but one card on its own doesn't create any sort of meaning. You know, people lay out three and whether or not you believe it's divine or you think it's somebody on the other side, like, or the other side of the table who's constructing a story from these very like stark images. Um, that I think is kind of the magic of Dark Souls to me is that you don't have to necessarily read any of the lore in order to construct your own sort of narrative around it because the images are so striking. That, I think, is intentional. Um, you know, whether or not you are perceiving exactly what Miyazaki wants you to um, from these sort of character designs is sort of irrelevant. Um, I think the fact that they are so well put together that you can kind of construct how these different pieces of the world fit together um, is is a remarkable accomplishment. Um, there's, uh, we might have talked about this last time, but one of my favorite stories was um, uh, uh, one of the art uh, or character designers of the game who was talking about a sketch he put together for like, they knew they wanted to have an undead dragon in the game. Mm -hmm. Um and the first thing he brought to Miyazaki was something out of his own art style, which was really, like, gnarly and gross. Um, and Miyazaki, like, dismissed it out of hand because he was reviewing everything at the time and was like, you know, it's not really what we're going for. It's not about, like, the grotesqueness. Think of it as more sad. Like, this should be something that was high and mighty and sort of, like, you know, beautiful and unique in the world brought low. Um mm. And that, I think, sort of intentionality really comes through in a lot of, of uh, the world design. So um, I think, yeah, there is a part of it that's really intentional, that you should be able to not read an item description and still get a sense of how cohesive the world is. 
um, is, is my long way of answering that question. No, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. And I think that, you know, backing up just to kind of start off the conversation in the same place this this game starts there's like a there's like a forced sense of humility all the way at the beginning from the tutorial area of this game to yeah. like, like what what was once great like is always lingering in in your mind with with every npc with every just every staircase you walk up you know um and just picturing the you know the gods of lordran you know walking walking the streets or, you know, visiting Undeadburg, like you can imagine the past they would take in the, in the way that everything was structured at one point in time. And that's, I think you're right. I think it's, that's why they created that way. What, what once was now is, um, sort of mentality. Yeah. That, I, that's fantastic. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, in that fashion, I should say. Um, cause I it's mean, why... we've talked about multiple times, you know, it feels mm-hmm. like the world, all the importance of the events of the world just happened and people yeah. are slowly recovering from it. But thinking about it in the way that um, that bringing it down from that, it was a, it was something beautiful that has just been worn down and broken. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's really cool. I really appreciate that thought. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny that we keep finding ourselves talking about games that I think have really picked up on a, a sort of environmental storytelling that I think if if Dark Souls hasn't necessarily invented has certainly popularized or mm-hmm. shown sort of a blueprint. You know, I think you see echoes of it in things like, you know, we talked about this when we talked about God of War for the first time. Like there is a sense of history in that place and people are starting to think about um, or at least make it more clear to people that are playing what sort of space this was before shit happened. Um, you know, Dead Space is very much the same, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I know it's really cool because, like, it. I think it transcends even like the certain genres. And when it comes to how games are put together, um, you know, you, if you look at game design, uh, we talked about. You know, we mentioned Zuli. Um, you know, they could just they could just as easily create these characters in these games where they look a certain way, the textures are exactly that. But some of these characters, when they design these things, they literally design them with these secrets and then put clothes on top of these secrets mm-hmm. and put masks on them that you have no way of taking off or removing or figure out, figuring out. But it just adds to the body of these characters and the creation and the design of these characters to have these secrets put there in a way that the only way you could ever find them would just to, is to be someone like Zuli is and deconstructs the game at a technical level to find these secrets. But having those things embedded there creates an atmosphere and creates a it's just, I don't even know how to explain it. Cause it's not something that I would even imagine would have made much of a difference. But, um, and I think of silent Hill, uh, PT comes to mind, like, behind you at all times is uh what's mm-hmm. is it maria is her name or whatever the oh, lisa you know what's embarrassing maybe? is a f- lisa yep <laughs> okay yeah maybe I, whatever if you've played pt you mm-hmm. know what i'm talking about but you, the sense of just overwhelming dread in that small 20 minute gameplay loop mm-hmm. you have no idea why and I really think a lot of it is because they literally put someone behind you watching you and floating yeah. next to you and you would never know. But like, think about how terrifying that thing was top to bottom and having something like that, that it 
makes the world more alive, even in the places you've never been, you can't be, you will never see, might not see. And I think that it's a lot of, you know, letting people miss things is very important because it makes your games feel bottomless. It makes them easy to come back to and it makes them uh, enjoyable to play the second or third or fourth time. I mean, shoot, I can't even count the amount of times I've played through Dark Souls. So, yeah. I mean, you were just doing another run where you were playing as a Sekiro build character. Uh, was that, uh, that might yeah. have been a three, but still. Yeah. Uh, uh, if the character creator was any, th- any better in Dark Souls 1, I would have made Owl in Dark Souls 1, but you can't really because they don't let you have facial hair. Um, so let's talk about how Dark Souls sucks. And it starts with the character <laughs> creation. Listen, the jubilant man is the best, okay? <laughs> He has the biggest, dumbest smile on his face, and <laughs> that guy embodies everything I wish I could be. <laughs> and that's just generally someone with a smile on their face. If, if no, I get it. <laughs> oh, no, I understood. <laughs> I think it would be... I want to start at the beginning of this game. Um, I would like to say Firelink Shrine, but I still I do want to go back to the tutorial area. Mm-hmm. Um. The game never even goes out of its way to address, like, what the heck, like, is going on. Like, you start in the cell, and then someone just is like, here you go, and just drops a key or whatever it is Mm. into your cell to help you escape. And then you just kind of weasel your way through here. They don't tell you why you got a key. They don't tell you anything like that. You just do or why you're even there or anything and i i always found that so fascinating because it literally never ever gets talked about and it has no bearing on anything whatsoever yeah well i think that's part of i mean it's a pretty thematic sort of way to start the game right um where you're giving a setup for you know this big intro cutscene that is effectively like a creation myth and it's this big, powerful imagery of, like, gods fighting dragons in this huge kingdom. And now all of a sudden there's, like, a plague. And you're like, okay, the plague is sort of the big threat of this game. Um, and then we time skip to what is effectively the end of the world. <laughs> like, your character is basically in the middle of an apocalypse. Like, this, everything is decaying and falling apart and decrepit and you're stuck in a jail cell like you have no agency no special sort of destiny um and sort of i think one of the big fundamental or philosophical issues that dark souls is wrestling with is can you find meaning in a world that hasn't inherently provided one to you Mm. um so I think it's important to start on what feels like a sort of purposeless or rudderless kind of note. You know, how could you feel anything else in a world where, you know, it's all kind of coming apart at the seams? Um, yeah, I and I think that, that I, that's uh, such a good point because it, it just, it's mimicked like throughout the first starting era. Like you literally walk outside and there's enemies that are just so demoralized and defeated in that moment that they don't even care that you like are hitting them or if you decide to like they're just like there's no point there's no purpose i'll just die yeah yeah that really like it really carries on that that sense of purposelessness um and the sense of like decay as you as you move throughout that the uh the undead asylum it is just so 
like morose and just yeah sad. it's really it's stagnant um you know it isn't until you talk to oscar who gives you like his weird family belief that like you gotta go somebody's gotta go to the land of the gods nothing in that implies that it has anything to do with you or is true or whatever like the only reason your character latches onto that is because that is a purpose and that's good enough at the time yeah. As you go through the story or as you go through the game and start to move throughout Lordran, um, there's sort of like this beautiful sort of harmony between you and the character you're playing as as to, you know, their reason for for pushing forward is kind of your reason for pushing forward. You know, is it is that a narrative reason? Are they doing it specifically because it's difficult and they want to challenge themselves? It doesn't really necessarily matter just as long as you've found something that pushes you forward, like a purpose that you've defined for you and the character. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's, it's really cool. Cause it's kind of, you're talking about that, like purposelessness and no mm-hmm. special destiny. Cause it's, it's cool. Cause like you pick up that quote unquote purpose along with your Estes flask from Oscar, who just, for some reason, it was in this completely closed off stone room with a water floor with no way in or oh, out. <laughs> no. Wait. Um, you got to look up. Oh, that's right. He was above everything. He was above everything. Okay. If you look up, there's a giant hole in the ceiling because the asylum dealer literally punched him through the ceiling. Oh, my goodness. I did not know that. See, I'm literally yeah. still learning things about this game. That's crazy. <laughs> He's sitting on this huge pile of rubble from the ceiling up above him. It's a really, like, it's a good little bit. That's cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Um, I connected the dots there. I always assumed... That like he was in that room and then the ball went through the wall and he just got crushed by it. Oh yeah. And he was like, that, Well, guess I'll die. <laughs> also slapstick. I don't think there's anything to say that the asylum demon didn't give him the butt stomp. So like pick pick your poison in terms of humiliation there. That's true. Everyone loves the thickness. So <laughs> but but even like after you get this like purpose. And it's like mm. you triumph and overcome through this area. You get like a cool weapon or something that's dedicated to your class. And it's like, okay, I feel I feel empowered. You come out here. You finally beat this like larger than life boss. And then you get to like this land. And then the first person you meet's like, oh, just another guy thinking he's going to come and change the world, huh? Neat. <laughs> Good luck. Bye. Go die. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's well, like I think that's- it builds you up and it immediately just like puts you down again. <laughs> I think that guy's a a foil. Like, that's the real enemy of the game, is that sense of, like, this shit's hard, nothing matters. Like, just sit down and wait to die. Like, that's the kind of, I think, purposelessness, that lack of drive that the game is really pushing against, is the first thing it does after you've had this moment of success and, like, you're intro to the game world, the first message is basically, like, all right, don't be this shit dick. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever it takes to not end up like him do that yeah and that's been a constant character throughout dark souls 2 and dark souls 3 um and i i'm not sure if there's a there's a parallel to the crestfallen guy in elden ring there probably is um everyone <laughs> yeah but i think it's always that kind of needle behind you is this guy who's sitting in the starting area and doesn't move until he decides to literally like you said <laughs> go die <laughs> Like, it's a constant sort of checkpoint of like, all right, well, I'm doing better than this asshole. (laughs) Well, it's it's funny, too, because that guy kind of mimics, like, 
he mimics the the stigma that Dark mm-hmm. Souls has. Like that, it's too much. I'm just gonna move on from. He he's the Roger of Dark Souls. I'm not I'm not gonna play this game too difficult for me. I've already given up. Whatever, just to not not dealing with it. Um, but yeah, it was just like it, it was. I just thought it was really cool. It's like there's there's just consistent theming and patterns and like throughout the entire game with all, in all facets of the game. So we'll we'll talk about some more of them too. But like, is there anywhere? more cozy like in any video game than firelink shrine like Ooh. Ooh. it's just I mean, like I, I okay for, for instance i was listening to this podcast a video game podcast um and they had a they do a top 10 on their discord uh easy allies is the name of the show and mm-hmm. they do a top 10 and one of it was like i think it was like cozy or like uh start menus or like just like cozy places Right, and right. I don't even remember. I don't even remember Firelink Shrine making the top ten, and I was like, "This is like a they they love Souls games on that show," and it's like it mm. didn't even make the top ten. I was like, "Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's just because it's so like morose of a world, or like no, but I think sad, that, but I think weirdly cozy is kind. Of, it's the most cozy you're gonna get. Like, look around because it's not gonna get better from here on out. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> Maybe um, the uh, the firekeeper room in an Orlando, but even so, still, it's not nearly as environmental as uh, environmentally friendly, I should say. No, but it doesn't have the tunes, man. Yeah, can't be cozy if you don't have the tunes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But yeah, I mean, like the way that, like, when you get in there and you're just hit with that like overwhelming negativity, and then you just you don't even have direction, like from there, like right away like how many people like went into the graveyard for the first yeah. first first go and just got dominated by skeletons and if you didn't get dominated by skeletons you made your way into the catacombs and then you got dominated by skeletons um and shout out to i'm sure there are people out there that went down and killed pinwheel before they ever Ooh. even went up the up the hill you're the real mvp like that would <laughs> that would be insane that's <laughs> with like starter weapons and shit yeah yeah i didn't i didn't do that until my uh new game plus or not new game plus i'm sorry my soul level one run i did that mm. first to get the right of kindling um right makes sense so that so that way i could I, I mean, it still was a pain in the butt especially the sure. room right before with all the pin the uh the rolly, yeah the rolly oh oh the, oh, the bony boys yeah, the pinwheel clones are in front of Nito, but the uh, right. the Rolly boys right. in front of the 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 pinwheel chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that was rough. Don't um, worry if you're wor- if you're worried that the pinwheel skeleton somehow came back in AC six, uh, you're you're good. They definitely do. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's funny uh, to see like throughout all of Fromsoft's like career they just have certain enemy and character designs that they clearly are just they just like his <laughs> patches there um good question i know I he was in into... armor core originally that he was started in place. armor core yep um so i haven't seen him yet but that doesn't mean that he's not in there hmm you have to let me know whenever i'm sure i could google it and find out but yeah. i prefer to hear it from you you can you can unlock a kick uh, animation, so it's entirely possible he's in the game somewhere. <laughs> Hanging out near the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Trying to get you to go down there. 
If you manage to kick a 15-foot... Ro- uh, you know what? I don't even want him to be in a mech. I just want him to be out somewhere <laughs> trying to kick a 15-meter, like, giant robot into a hole. <laughs> There's vindication in there somewhere. Like, there is. He just, like, stubs his toe or something. That'd be fine. So, that, that's all you need, because... You don't, want him to, you don't want him to. I mean, I want him to die, but some people don't want him to die. Some people just want him to stub his toe or step on a Lego or something like that. Mm. So, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You're not given a lot of direction at the start of the game, other than up and down, and you're looking for bells, which is not a lot to go on. Um, I think the the sort of brilliant design of Loradrin starts at this point yes, because it's not it occupies this weird space in between you know what I would consider to be a metroidvania and a traditional what we would say an open world um, you know it isn't this run everywhere do everything kind of game um, you can look at places in the distance and you will eventually get there but the paths that you use to get to those points are defined um, and I think that is kind of how it sort of helps introduce new players to like how to navigate the world. Like you don't have a ton of different paths out of, um, the, the, uh, the starting area. Once you first drop in, there's the graveyard and hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll try that a couple of times and then get your shit kicked in enough to be like, okay, different, different spot. <laughs> um, and then you'll come across a, a, a hill leading up with some stairs and some skeletons or some enemies that seem more familiar because they're the same ones at the uh, Undead Asylum and think, okay, this is more familiar. This feels kind of right. Um, yeah. Yep. Th- there's a lot of like subtle sort of signposting that way and sort of counting on people to feel uncomfortable when they show up and to immediately kind of count on them latching on to something that feels familiar i think um, no that's a that's a great point um another another way i think they do that is if you're looking for they say or at least this is how i initially took it was that if you're looking for the bells of awakening you're looking for mm-hmm. bells well if i'm looking for bells that ring i'm likely looking for some type of cathedral or church or something like that um i need to go up like yeah. I need to get not lower. I need to get higher. But then you find out the second one's lower, and you're like, "Well, shit, <laughs> uh, <the> fuck." <laughs> but yeah, that so that that was my initial thought. But yeah, I mean, you're right. That's they signpost minimally, and you could use a that line of logic to maybe come to that conclusion. I think that's more happenstance than anything else. What well, yeah, I ran I through, don't... but I think what you're talking about, makes the most sense. It's like, Oh, I fought one of these guys. I know I can take him. I'll go that way and try to tackle that challenge. Cause I know I've done it before. Yeah. Um, and I don't even think that's something that's happened consciously for a lot of people. It's exactly. just like innate, it like kind of innately like, all right, that's, that's a level one guy. I know that's a level one guy. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And then one thing I've always, and I'm only bringing this up now is because I, I, there's an immediate example of it here. One of the things I've always thought was so funny and so unique about Dark Souls is that, uh, and some of this you could also attribute to maybe originating in like Ocarina of Time, um, but more so in Dark Souls, I think, 
the there are areas and portions of the game to where you have to utilize a combat move set as traversal mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for instance, the the jump in Dark Souls is never supposed to be utilized as an actual jump like gap distance thing. It's supposed to be just like a movement, like getting from point A to point B while you're in combat. Uh, in a similar way that like jumping in Ocarina of Time is not something you can just do. It's something you like lock on and jump side to side like you're uh, dodging enemies, but you can use it to like jump small gaps to get secret items and things like that. And I always right. thought that was something so cool that Dark Souls did because it's like there are just there is no point in the game to where you have to jump like without there being like a specific prompt for it. There are some things where it's like press X to do this and it'll, you know, there's a little cut scene or something like that. But mm-hmm. like, there's no point in the game where you have to run and actually like take the leap to really get to the next area of the game to finish it. Yeah. Um, and I always thought that was kind of neat how like right at the beginning of the game, there's one and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a glowing item right over there. How do I do that? And I, you can use that as a way to kind of challenge yourself to think about how to, tackle enemies in new ways it's like okay yeah i can you know i can run and jump over there but if i fall i've died like big risk big reward but then it can challenge you to think about okay i just did like a run and jump and then whenever i landed you know i can do like a roll how can i do different attacks how can i take that mentality not necessarily the running and jumping um but how can i utilize those mechanics to change the way i'm thinking about the entirety of the of the game um another example of that is like whenever you encounter like boxes and things like that it's like oh i just figured out if i I roll i can tackle through them so now i can kite enemies in different directions or now i'm constantly looking for new hidden things that are in crates uh just that like that mentality that you slowly uncover um in this game using combat mechanics to do other things that I don't think the game was originally quote unquote intended for you to do. I think the rolling one's not the best example of that, but the jumping is definitely one. Well, it is kind of a drip feed on like, you know, you start with a kind of limited move set or at least you're, you're figuring things out. So you have some combat options. Um, and you're right. As you start to explore what your capabilities as character are, more and more the world opens up to you um yeah. and i think it's funny that like that happens in both positive and negative ways like the first time that you encounter a mimic fundamentally changes how you approach treasure chests from that point on <laughs> like something that, in every w- game <laughs> in every ca- <laughs> god <laughs> or like illusory walls it's like okay i'm gonna look like an idiot probably for the rest of this game <laughs> i'm gonna yep. hit every wall i'm gonna believe <laughs> Every note that somebody leaves, like, because there's always the chance. Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah. Where it's smart not to hit people with too much of that right up front. You know, mimics don't come in until I think maybe like halfway through. I think Sense Fortress is the first time you can encounter a mimic. Yeah. Um, So you're like, you're pretty deep in and feel like you have a sense of how this world works. And then it throws a curveball like that where it's like, okay. Now I gotta, now I gotta keep that in the back of my mind. <laughs> Tell me this, Max. Whenever you play Dark Souls, one, you go back through again. Do you mm. hit every chest you see, even if you know it's not a mimic? 
Yeah, you kind of—it's just muscle memory, right? <laughs> yeah, we were playing in uh, a couple of weeks back, um, just to get them. Or we were having a few drinks. We were playing Dark Souls, mm. and we were literally just in the undead burg, underneath like the fire bombers that are up by the bridge in that yep. area where there's a chest up in that back room, and like. Ran in there, smacked the chest, opened it up, and it's like, <laughs> why are you hitting the chest? It's like, well, d- because I can't. <laughs> I can't not not hit the chest. And Elden Ring, it's, no mimics, still hit every chest every time I opened it. Because you never it. fucking know. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, I, you know, we're you know poking fun at the mimic thing, but that's just, that's the world's, that's the world that Dark Souls has created. Something of, like, infinite explorability and wonder that has such a lasting deep impact and that's kind of like a slap stick slap stick example of that but there's so many other things in the games too that you know like um you know other tropes like just two-handing weapons or you know mm-hmm. magic and things like that just different builds and different styles of play that carry that same level of of impact and weight that it fundamentally changes how everyone plays all of these souls like genres yeah i think and that's that's something that's kind of wonderful about it. Now that you bring up like magic and pyromancy and things like that, um, the the high level of difficulty in Dark Souls doesn't necessarily mean that there's one right build for everything. Um, and I think if if there's one thing I wish more people understood about it, it's that you know. Getting good at the game has very much less to do about like, you know, memorizing move sets and really like, you know, understanding a boss at its core. You can win that way, but you can also ask fundamental questions about like, okay, what am I doing wrong? And like, what can I change about my character in a way that makes sense to me? Um, You know, it's very sort of versatile with how it lets players interact with like its difficulty um and and not all of them have to be like super technical i think the the pyromancy system is sort of there to like if people don't have great reaction times or that's something that they really struggle with then pyromancy is there for you man it's a pretty easy stat investment it's pretty cheap to like you know uh level up your pyromancy flame and then you've got a huge amount of damage that you can put out at a distance like Mm -hmm. And that's, by the way, anybody who wins the game that way is that's exactly as valid as the way I did it. You know, it's yeah. cool shit. Yeah, I mean that's it was funny because whenever we were playing, <laughs> an exact example of that is whenever we were doing the the playthrough at, that we started at the cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Bruce had started the character and he wanted to do a magic build. Well, we were giving him crap for you know playing a magic build as as we do, but like. It it was all in jest, but I mean, you're absolutely right. It is. It was crazy because I'd never done a magic build before, and it was crazy to see we just dumped all the points into like intelligence, and when right. we got like even just to like the copper or I'm sorry, not the copper demon, the Taurus demon, dude. Every soul arrow, your base magic attack <laughs> did like 400 damage, like literally like six soul arrows, and that thing was dead. Like, yeah, and we didn't even get the stab on it from the top either. So like, <laughs> it's crazy to see like how effective some of these other play styles are, and 
and it's fun to think about, you know, potentially revisiting it and just playing it in a completely different way that way. Cause it's like, okay, well, I've played this game with, you know, the two handed build where I have learned what it's forced me to stay close, learn my dodges. Now, just imagine how effective I can be when I have this like huge, you know, damage output glass cannon build, but that doesn't matter because I've mastered not getting hit. Yeah. And so yeah. that's just a, that's a really cool way that the game invites you to come back to it and learn new things and, you know, just play again with a, with a fresh mind. And, and whenever you do that, that's another thing I want to talk about Dark Souls. We've already said this phrase, but this is just an example of it. Because the game is so okay with you missing things and existing in the state of minimalism, these mm. NPC quests naturally open up. You see new characters. There are NPC quests I guarantee I still haven't done in Dark Souls <laughs> because I won't play a certain build, because mm. I won't tackle certain things or talk to certain people like rescuing was a big hat logan at the at the bottom of sen's fortress locked in that that cage i've only done that like once and i've never right. even followed through on the on the investment for you know beat or getting him out of there um but like that would be a worthwhile investment and new story that you could you could tackle because you're playing a magic build and that would be beneficial for that for that type so the game rewards you for not only investing in these builds but coming back to it and reinvesting and re uh respecking or restarting and those types of things with an equal level of reward with the story ultimately you're running the same path but the companions you'll keep and the things that you'll learn along the way will always change with everyone that you do whether it be a faith build or a strength build or uh, the magic builds like the npcs are always different and there's always new fun things to encounter. That's such yeah. a cool thing that most video games won't even attempt to do. Well, and I think it's also like, because it's not, um, when you create a character in Dark Souls, you're not asked to pick a, well, you are asked to pick a class right at the beginning, but that is not like, you know, restrictive in any sort of way. Yeah. It's not like, okay, I'm a paladin. That means I'm going to be a paladin for the next 80 hours or whatever. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't mean that anything changes. Like, it's just... Yeah, but it means that the character that you end up with is one that's sort of naturally, like, you've built bit by bit every stat point in a way that made sense to you. And the game is designed in such a way that it's really hard to, like, come up with something that isn't viable, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that, yeah, it depending on what you build or which characters you interact with or which ones resonate with you, you know, you may pick up on quests that other people miss or vice versa. And it means that your character and the journey that they go on is sort of really personal. Hmm. Um, and I think there's a benefit to, like you said, FromSoft being okay with players missing things, um, you know, where not every playthrough has to be the same or... You know, if it's just, you know, we're all going to do the same side quests and you get to decide what order to do them in, like, how how different are our playthroughs? You know what I mean? Mm. It's much more interesting when we have different kind of, like, solutions to problems or different parts of the story that resonate with us or different characters. Um, you know, I, I think that's really kind of something that's helped this game stick in the, the public sort of consciousness for as long as it has. Yeah, uh, 
I agree. And I think that like a like a really good example of that right off the bat is like when you first when you first start out on Firelink Shrine and you give a you give a couple ways to go and you know you're walking around kind of exploring like the abandoned ruins right there, you meet this like chubby armored guy named Petrus who right away is just a colossal dick to you and is like, <laughs> just leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with you. And then you talk to him again and he apologizes. Um so like right away you get this idea that like wow this guy's kind of a bastard he apologizes to you and then you're like oh that's just and then most people and I, I would venture to say that like faith builds are probably not the most popular I'd say that strength builds and magic builds are two of the most popular I would venture mm-hmm. to say that most people go the in, their entire runs of Dark Souls and never play out the storyline with Petrus and like the faith guild. Then you come to find out that this guy's an evil bastard, sold what's her name, not Astraea, because that's from um, Demon Souls, but I forget right. her name. The the white maiden down the river and essentially will murder her for the sake of whatever reason he does. Because um, he's a dick. Yeah, so it's like that happens, and if you run that story and you're like, oh, that's why that guy's a colossal bastard. Mm-hmm. Like, that... And, like, just little things like that, like the little attitude that the characters show that like you get a little taste of and then it kind of comes around. That's what it makes the world feel, feel alive. And like when you, like I said in the last episode, when you're able to draw those connections and make inferences like you would with someone in the real world, and then it hits you in the game and you're just like, Holy crap. Like that's what makes it so like impactful. Like, and it doesn't just stop at like the characters and the NPC connections. I think about the first time you strayed so far away from the Firelink Shrine and you're in the Undead Burg and you're in the church there and then you hit that elevator and you land mm-hmm. back in Firelink Shrine and you walk out and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, a, this is incredible. Like seeing this not only from like a whole new perspective, but also finding a new area that you didn't even know was there. And then seeing how it can loop around, the joy of having a shortcut to a bonfire into an area you just felt so lost and destitute in, like that level of connection to a world is just not something you get in video games because you're just so used to being like abandoned or so many places make you feel so safe, so polar opposite of each other that whenever you find something where there's an actual like connection to an earlier place in the world that you have in a relationship with it makes your connection to the world much more impactful and much deeper and i don't think there's many games out there that can that pull that off like dark souls does yeah well even in the same series right there are moments of that kind of brilliance in you know bloodborne dark souls 3 has the uh uh cathedral of the deep comes to mind like there are there are levels of that game or of those games um, that have that sort of puzzle box um, aspect to them. But nothing has the same sort of whole-encompassing interconnected feel like Lordran does, where the entire world is built like um, a puzzle box. And you're right, there's a sort of two-pronged kind of joy of finding those moments. One is mechanical, of being like, holy shit, I don't have ever have to do that run ever again if I don't want to. <laughs> Um, and the other is like, you know, it's one more piece that falls into place of saying like, okay, I'm starting to understand how this world is put together, you know, um, 
And that's something that, you know, goes a long way towards world building in a way that you couldn't get from somebody just like, you know, explaining different parts of Lordran through like a dialogue tree or whatever. Like exposition won't give you that sense of connectedness that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's what I love about it is like whatever I initially found that and then I went back to Firelink and hit the bonfire and I would like turn around and looked up at the wall and I just like followed my eyes just like followed as high as like it could take me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, then like immediately in my mind was like mapping out the path that I took and I was like, it just feels, it just feels so real. Yeah. Most games nowadays are like this giant flat open map with no capability of giving you that type of of connection whatsoever point a to point b feels just as long as point c to point d just because you can fast travel or or jump and things like that and the game doesn't even give you that ability until it feels like you have figured out everything the game has to really give you and lets you see the best parts of it already yeah because you've already by the time you get fast travel you've went from the top of a Norlando all the way down to essentially the start of the demon ruins. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not like you can fast travel any further to areas you haven't been. Like the game really forces you to get intimate with its, with its shortcuts and it's, um, uh, it's intricacies before it lets you take advantage of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point of comparison of the, the sort of verticality of the world of, of, Lordran as compared to a typical um, open world game, which you're, you're right, is a flat plane. Um, and in a flat plane, there's a lot of downtime when you're traveling from point A to point B, where, you know, that that um, traversal might be cinematic, you know, in a way. It might be kind of um, engaging, but it's not a, a part of the experience like moving from point A to point B is in Dark Souls, um, mm. where every path that you take, because they're sort of, um, you know, pre-laid out for you, all of them are cultivated to create a really engaging and interesting experience, um, which I think helps, you know, you'll see these kind of paths a lot because you'll die, and there's also, like, a fair <laughs> amount of backtracking, but... Um, you know, it does, it does make you feel like, I mean, it's been, it's been a minute since I've gone back through Dark Souls, but I could, I could draw you a pretty decent map of Lordran. I think top to bottom, I think yeah. pretty, pretty easily. <laughs> but it, it's, it's a world that like warrants exploring. Like it wants you to revisit and just like tackle every corner and crevice that it has because you will inevitably find something new. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember, I mean, it was probably my sixth playthrough before I realized that there was, like, a tree down in the bottom of the garden before the Moonlight Butterfly that wasn't even a real tree. You hit it, and it dies, and then there's, like, this massive path that circles back up around, and that, I think that's where you get the wolf ring or something like that. But, mm -hmm. like, I didn't I didn't know any of that. Like, that that was something that came, like, so late in my Dark Souls, uh, this, like, world experience that... Um, and I, f I still feel like there's things I don't know about the world. Ha having thousands of hours in that game, I still feel like it's it's bottomless to this day. Um, but 
I had a point. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Sorry. Busy Professional lore masters. <laughs> um, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that, like, whenever I'm, when I'm walking through Lordran, whether it be, like, that, that elevator shaft or the first time that, like, you get down into the demon ruins. Um, oh, that that's exactly what it was. I... I subconsciously led myself back to it. I mean, think of these other games. We talked about the, the, the flat maps, but even the games that have like a realized sense of space, kind of like a dead space or like the Ishimura, things like that, to where there's multiple levels and floors and things like that. It's hard to, to feel that way, even though the environment is fantastic in that game. You don't have, everything still feels like it's a, it's a structured path and a flowing flat map to that goes from room to room. But Dark Souls is so unique in the way that it literally feels like you you get the sense of scale, not for the room you're in, but the sense of scale of the world. Like think about traveling from Undead Berg, the run down into the depths, and then down into Blight Town and down into yeah. the demon ruins. It feels like a trek. It feels like an adventure. And it without fast travel they want you when they created this world to go oh my gosh that's such a long way and that's because <laughs> it is it's a long world to have to travel through but think about that experience and the only reason you feel that way is because one there's a ton of enemies that you have to get through that suck but it's dangerous and traveling that any sense of distance should be dangerous it should it should make you be mindful of the world you're moving through and so many games you don't have to be mindful you press you tape the thumbstick forward on your controller and you're you're there after you come back from taking a dump but like in dark souls it's not like that you can't look away from the screen they don't even give you the ability to pause the game without being in danger mm -hmm. and i think that that's such a it's such a unique thing to have not only the sense of like adventure going from point a to point b but you can the world stacking on itself like that just on a from a sense of a vertical scale you realize it as you're playing it you get the game signposts it to the point where it's like you want to look around and see oh my goodness i've been there and i, I think of elden ring specifically like when you get to the hallig tree and you can look down and see inside of like Mikola's layer where like the giant egg the thing that's like broken open down there or whatever that is that's like torn open right uh, like that you get that in all dark souls games and yeah it I, makes it alive man like it's so cool i think it also i think that run in particular is such a good like sort of segment to to talk about when it comes to this because it plays with a lot of i think player expectations where it, you feel like every, at the end of every area, it feels like you've hit the bottom of the world. This has to be the bottom. You know, you start with the bottom of the undead berg, which as far as you know is like, okay, this is, you know, terra firma. This must be like the ground floor, right? Um, and then you go into the depths and you're like, oh. Fuck, this has to be the bottom. Like, it's a sewer. There's nothing... It's called the depths. It has yeah, to be. <laughs> exactly. Like, I've played video games, all right, pal? I know there's nothing underneath the sewer <laughs> layer. Um, and then it takes you even further down to what feels like the, you know, 
just this horrible forgotten pit and it's so dark and it's so menacing and you realize like okay there's a big boss at the bottom of this that is a finale that has to be it and it just keeps pulling the rug out because guess what shit dick there's another layer below that (laughs) well and it well it's kind of cool too because like as as deep as it is it doesn't need to stray away from the traditional tropes of like a world. It's green and lush. And then there's mm. a sewer and then there's the, the creepy nasty stuff below the sewer. And then there's literal hell. And then yeah. there's the demons of hell that <laughs> exist in the layers below that. Like, and I don't think it's a, an accident that like the deepest, darkest part of the the quote-unquote hell is like this giant coliseum area mm-hmm. like the circles of hell i think it like it is literally like the most stereotypical thematic world but it doesn't try to be anything other than just that where the kings and the gods are all the way up high above the world of man and the world of man exists in a relative state of normalcy and then all the way down to the the demons and the slugs of the underworld and yeah, it, just, I think that's a that's a really good point because I think it does it, it sort of again it's working on that sort of subconscious level of like this is a world structure that at least I understand you know mm-hmm. um, but I think it keeps things fresh and interesting because the way that you traverse the, through those areas or the enemies that you fight are so unconventional and weird that it really like brings a, a sense of personality and specificity to these kind of concepts like, you know, purgatory or hell or like, you know, a heavenly realm, um, you know, that that a lot of other games don't put that much thought into, I think. No. Yeah. I mean, that's I'll never forget, like, getting to the top of Sen's Fortress. What a glorious day getting to the top of Sen's Fortress finally <laughs> and then realizing you have to beat a boss. Uh, that, that, that just kind of sucked because of, for my first playthrough of Sen's Fortress, I did not know there was a bonfire over the edge. So I oh, was really? dying to the Iron Golem and then running all, all the, way, the back way back from the Undead Berg bonfire above Andre the Blacksmith. And then so naturally... Um, that was that was a tough one for me to swallow. And when I learned about that bonfire, I almost busted my head off the wall next to me because I was so butt hurt. But that, I mean, that's just that's Dark Souls. Like thinking about the things in the area that go unexplored. I know for a fact I have run through every inch of Sen's Fortress, but I still don't feel like I have. Yeah, because there's just areas that just feel too intimidating. There's enemies that just exist in perpetuity. Because why? Why do I need the? Why do I feel the need to go kill them? Why? How am I going to get down there and kill these Titanite shards or Titanite mm-hmm. demons with the strength build in a pit where I have zero movement? Like things like that. That it's like there could be some item back there. I'm not going to go get it. You know, who <laughs> knows what? Who knows what's existing in these tar pits at the bottom of this this world? But and that's exactly the point I'm trying to make is that for as simple and as stereotypical as some, of, I should say some, it's not all, as some of the designs in this game are, and as many times as I've been through them and as many cliffs as I've 
I've shimmied up against and, you know, got gotten down into areas that I didn't even think you could. I still mm-hmm. feel like there's a ton that I haven't got to in after thousands of hours of playing this game. I would I would completely agree with that. For me, I'm thinking of um New Londo. And I know uh, I said earlier that I could draw a pretty solid map of uh <laughs> Lordran and I'm realizing that New Londo is going to be a lot of squiggles. I know it, I know the critical <laughs> path. I know the one that you have to take kind of. And <laughs> yeah. I'm realizing now how little time I've really spent down there. I know there's NPCs down there I haven't talked to. I know that I'm sure there's shortcuts and and all kinds of cool, ghosty, hidden shit, but uh, don't like being there. Don't. (laughs) Stresses me out. Yeah, man. I mean, there's that the church in New Londo is like one of the most intimidating places in the game, I think, for any build of any kind. Yeah. Um, Just for the sake that there's enemies that can go through walls. They can hit you from 17 feet away and they're almost invisible. And sometimes you don't even hit them whenever you hit them. Their hitboxes are like an inch wide and an inch thick. And it's just so hard to hit them. Um, but yeah, I, I die so many times when I go in there um, yeah. that you're right. You just want to, you want to sprint through, try to climb up the ladder before you could die and then get out before, <laughs> before they get to you. Um New Londo ruins is like so it's such an interesting it's so interesting to bring that up because like there are I um this world is just so complex <laughs> that it's just it's it's just such a cool it's such a cool place to go because like there's so much intrigue around New Londo ruins because it's like you go down here and there's all these people that mimicking like the first area and the undead asylum to where they're so destitute and so ravaged that they just don't care. They're enemies. You can kill them. You get their souls, move on. But like, Mm -hmm. I'm to the point now, like when I play that game, I just let them sit there and be sad. Like, because they're just so defeated. Um, and there's like these ghosts, the hidden buildings, the crushed world. And you're just like, you're walking through this going like, what like hell or apocalypse happened here? And this is one of those areas to where you can glaze over the entirety of the lore, not ever hear about it, discuss it, figure out what's going on and just be awed and mesmerized by the world that you're in. Um but this is a great example of like how the game is just so okay with you missing things. Because when you get all the way down to the bottom of New Londo, you, you open the seal and the water drains, the dark wraiths come out of the abyss, and then you get all the way to the end. You have the ability to summon the witch to help mm-hmm. you with that fight, but you can only do it if you summoned her from her secret summon spot in the garden before. So like the game is just like, it wants you to exist in these, like, let's talk about the NPC thing again. It wants you to, like, follow these specific paths to unlock things and has so many things and probably some things I don't even know about still locked behind certain interactions and certain combinations of things that they're, I mean, Miyazaki's already said he's not giving us any information about the lore of the game, and we've already talked about whether that's intentional or not. But I mean, do you really think he's going to give us things that we ha- we don't know about yet? Like there could there could be 
NPC interactions that require certain combinations that people have just never done, and there's something that we don't know about the game yet. And I'm pretty confident that if there was, they never would tell us. No, I think so, that's I think that's absolutely fair. I think it also like it points to, you know, the, there's a lot of people that think that like you know, summoning for boss fights or whatever is a cop out, or like if you. If you summon to to beat a boss, then you didn't really beat it. And there's so much, like, you're right, lore and all these kind of hidden interactions behind those kind of, like, summons that it clearly is an, in, like, intentional part of the game. You know, yeah. it's giving a pretty clear message of, like, if you need help, take it. There is There are just advantages for doing that for you. You know, the more connected, however you define connected to this world... Um, do what you got to do. So I, I, I think that's a really good point. And like, I, I sort of enjoy the fact that like, um, you know, people who took the time to, you know, ask for help may get a, a deeper sense of a connection with different characters or different environments that um, people are too stubborn to, to do that sort of missed out on. And I'm putting myself in that category. No, I mean, I'd, I've been in the same boat with many runs of the game. I mean, like I said, I'd, the only time, the only reason I even knew that that NPC existed was because in my Soul Level 1 run, I was doing everything I could to conquer that game, mm-hmm. which included getting that that summon. Um, even the, like, no one ever talks about this being one of the most difficult things, but, dude, getting Solaire all the way to the battle with Gwyn is a challenge. That's a bitch. It's, it's so tough. Um, mostly just tracking him down in his 17 places he appears across Lordran, but... Well, you also have to effectively, like, sequence break a little bit. Yeah. Yep. There, I, I don't remember this the specific sequence of events you have to hit but yeah you're right i mean you have to you have to backtrack and go back to the undead berg like six times while he's finding random places to praise the sun and talk about his this but i i just love his character because um and this will come back around to something we already talked about but like when you first meet solaire he's like he's so i don't want to use the word jolly because for obvious reasons but he's just he's so happy and he's so hopeful and he's just such a strong juxtaposition for everything else that you've run up against in this game and he's like he's like dude yes like let's let's sync up let's be happy let's let's conquer stuff together who knows how long we have together man let's just let's just do it together and it's just like what is this guy like (laughs) this guy doesn't fit in this or belong in this world at all and then like as you're moving through the game and you're following his story if you if you follow it closely he just becomes more and more like defeated and he's like i can't find what i'm looking for i don't know if it even exists like what am i even doing here and then he starts to like match the tone of the world and it is so sad to like experience someone who's like it brings the world more alive because if you have everyone that keeps that same level of like sadness and depression through the world, it just, it makes the, okay, this world is just a sad place. But when you encounter the people like him or uh, Sigmire or Sig, I don't remember if it's, I always get the two confused. I don't know which one's in Dark Souls 3. There's Sigmire and Sigward. Yeah, um, I think this one's Sigmire. I'm going to get yelled at in the comments, but. <laughs> 
Yeah. Onion Knight. Onion Bro. Uh, mm. When you meet him and then um, Solaire, there's just like this strong feeling of like happiness and I can do this and uh, courage and confidence that slowly wears them down. And I think like back to you, you were saying about like the crestfallen knight with how he's supposed to set the tone for being that the spirit of someone you don't want to become. I think that this, these characters exist to bring the state, the energy level up a little bit and to remind you that you're not alone here. Not only in the sense that like you can summon these characters for bosses, especially, and I think it's intentional for the first few bosses you're able to summon Solaire, but like they set that tone for there are other people who still have hope in Lordran. And occasionally you will come across them and it may, it makes the world feel like that much more alive. Cause if that was the case, you know, you would always just feel depressed and sad when you're going through this world. And then you meet like freaks, like Oswald of Karim, that's standing out there, <laughs> arms out telling you he's going to murder all your enemies. And it's like, cool, man, this guy's happy or sad. I don't know what to think of this guy. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that the, sort of point of comparison between um, Solaire and Onion Bro and the the Crestfallen Knight is a a sort of important point and really emphasizes that um, existential sort of drive that Dark Souls, I think, really wants its player base to keep. Um, You know, you watch these two people who at the beginning have really strong, clear goals. They're sort of ludicrous in a way. Like, I... Solaire says he wants to find his own son. No idea what that means necessarily, (laughs) but he's really like set on it. And that's when he's at his peak is when he's, you know, got a clear like goal forward. It's his purpose. And that's why he's able to keep this sort of upbeat spirit. You know, Sigmire is here to, to act as a chivalrous knight. He that's his identity and he wants to come out and fight monsters and shit. Um, what you see them wrestle with is the loss of that kind of, um, that loss of that goal as they go forward. You know, Solaire starts to really wrestle with, is this absurd? Does the, that self-doubt creeps in? Like, you know, like you said, what am I even doing here? Um, for Sigurd, it's because you keep bailing him out is how you progress his quest line. You take more and more of that identity from him unfortunately, just by saving his life. And by the end of it, he's sort of gone hollow because he can't see himself as, you know, the the conquering adventure that he was at the beginning of the game. Um, you know, they're both sort of cautionary tales about staying focused and keeping moving forward. Um, you know, they, they both sort of succumb to the sort of self-doubt and... and uh, depression and and sort of questioning if there is a purpose um and that's i think the sort of entropy that the game is really fighting against that's a really really cool point that i hadn't i yeah i never i never would have come to that conclusion without this conversation (laughs) so that's really cool what i think it's even cooler is when you put it in that that frame of reference comparing the two how they meet their demise because i mm-hmm. think i think canonically solaire does not get to gwyn i think that's the non-canonical yeah. way I would agree. His, his canonical ending being that 
he is literally driven mad by his purpose and ends up being an, an enemy that you have to and just put down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's of any, uh, I don't think it's an accident that, that, that he meets his end in hell either to where he's, he's misplaced. And I, and I, I mean that in a, in a very serious way. We but, can't you know, say he, canonically that Solaire is in hell. <laughs> oh no, we could just say canonically that he's a sandworm in hell in Dark Souls 3 instead. Yeah, totally fine. <laughs> they also brought him back in AC6. Don't worry. No way. Are you serious? Well, there's oh. a big worm. Oh my, oh, okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um but no, I think that he literally drives himself to the worst place possible mm-hmm. searching what he's searching for and it drives him crazy and that's his own personal hell is not finding his son. Instead, he's where the sun is brilliant and shining in the sky and he's out on the balcony suspended in midair with it. It, when you find him, he is the furthest away in the game that you could possibly get down the set of stairs deep within the underworld. Mm-hmm. And that is where he meets his end. Like, I don't I don't think that's an accident. Whereas Sigward, his end is, I mean, even it's even mimicked in the other uh, Katarina warriors in Dark Souls 3, where they're, like you said, they're all about just being valiant warriors and just being being the best that they can possibly be and whenever they can't get that or they have something that made made it to where they weren't able to maintain or hold on to their chivalry they go hollow and meet their end um, yeah which by the way sigmire sig sigward or whatever it is in dark souls 3 his end is probably the most i i still get kind of choked up when i <laughs> i think about that battle with your that is so cool yeah um but no, I just like the level of of detail that these NPCs have in them from a lore perspective is so incredible whenever you especially when you consider how okay they are with you missing it. Um and that's I think that's what makes the world feel so alive is whenever you get these little tiny tidbits that mean so much that the characters are able just to go, that's cool and walk away just like you would in real life. And you, any game that you play, like an NPC tries to talk to you and it's like, Oh my gosh, I got to watch 20 minute cut scene and then listen to them explain their life story. And then I got to start this mission. And it's like, <laughs> and it's just stuck in my activity journal for the end of until the end of time. Cause I don't want to deal with it. But in dark souls, it's just so different because you hear these words, these, you know, these few phrases that the characters will give you, never telling you what you have to do, just casually mentioning these events to the world, and then you get the agency to decide what you want to do with that information. And I think that's why so many people connect so strongly with these games is because it lets you choose how to interact with the world um, and utilize the data you have to interact with the world. Um, and that's just something that you don't get a lot of in the video game genre because it's a hard it's a hard design and it's a huge risk when you're creating a game. Um, yeah. Because if people don't feel like they have a purpose, why should they play your game? Um, so it was a big risk, but like just a massive reward. And I'm I just I'm so happy this game exists. I think about it <laughs> literally all the time. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's the, what I was talking about towards the beginning of our conversation um, about this game giving you a lot of very, like, 
powerful, clear imagery um, where it becomes much more about, you know, what you layer onto that imagery more than it is characters like, you know, they're, they're sort of capital L lore. You know, it's not about proper nouns or like you don't even have to know that Katarina is a place or like <laughs> what it's like, you know. Um, Solaire is looking for his son. You get to kind of inject your own meaning into that or like you know what allegorically what does that mean to you what does this journey look like for that character and it's sort of you know why i think the game is um best experienced i think the first time through without looking at a ton of wiki pages or whatever mm. because so much of it is defined by your reaction to it um yeah. you know it's why i love ornstein and smo's character design even like without, you don't even have to experience that fight. Just see these two, you know, one incredibly like disciplined, slender, proud looking knight standing next to this giant monster um, forced to work together. Like, what is this kind of, what is this dynamic? How did this happen? Um, there's a lot of fun questions that the, the, game lets you sort of parse out um, and doesn't feel the need to provide any sort of clear answer, which would be way less satisfying than than the sort of narrative that you've constructed in your head. Yeah, that's a... It's, it's hard to imagine literally any changes in this format. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's why, obviously, that's definitely the reason why it's just been so prevalent and mimicked hundreds and hundreds of times almost literally to the point to where it's hard to it's hard to play anything that anyone says hey, it's a souls like i i literally don't even want to visit it just because it's like this has just been beaten to death and none of them are as good some of them are decent but none of them are as good as as the original um but i don't think it has anything to do with the gameplay like i like obviously the gameplay is amazing for these games but you know these exercises, I won't, I won't talk about this a ton because this is what the last episode really discussed, but these mm -hmm. exercises and minimalism really drive the, the, the entire game forward. Um, yeah, it is, a, it is a technical achievement, you know, in, in terms of, of the combat and all that stuff. We've definitely talked about all that, but you're right. I don't think this game would have the lasting power that it does um, if it didn't have this kind of, like fuzzy allegorical quality to it um mm -hmm. if it had this very defined sort of lore um i think it would be a good like fantasy game but i would put it on the same pile as a lot of fantasy games mm -hmm. pivoting a little bit um just recently actually before the last episode when i was digging through the you died book again just kind of looking at the different uh like the tour of Lordran chapters that Jason had put together. Um, so every time I read that, I'll, I'll stop and like dig through a few sentences from each, uh, each one of those chapters. I'm slowly flipping through the book. Um, just, be, just because it's cool to like, to see like the little snippets of each, each one of these, these small areas and connect with whatever small fragment that I, I happen to pull off the page. Um, but, I love the connected sense of community that every person has with each one of these 
these areas because it's not that we all have the exact same experience with each area in this game. It's just that we all experienced the exact same like surprises and wonder, and then we all tackled the challenges completely differently, um, mm. which is which is another thing that's like really rare in games. And I think that it's it's not even until like just recently, and th- that games started to really branch out and allow for more options to tackle challenges in these same areas and arenas um, outside of things like roguelites and stuff that where that's literally the challenge. Um, so like kudos to dark souls and you know from software for really like pioneering the ability to you know tackle those things in such a different a different facet and i don't even really think that was something that they did in demon souls i really think dark souls is like the first place because demon souls is such a defined straight path mm-hmm. and really has like a set it's hard to define but like if you've played the game you know what i'm talking about it has like a really set limit on like each play style that dark souls doesn't really have um yeah, so I think in Demon Souls also it was willing to like it gave you a lot more signposts for how things progress. Even just mm-hmm. like having you know numbered levels and stages, um, yeah, helps orient you in a way that feels sort of outside of the game. It feels very video gamey. Like where are you in Demon Souls? I'm in uh, uh, stage two, three. Okay, cool. I know exactly where we are. Um, Asking that question in Dark Souls for somebody who's going through it for the first time, it's like, <laughs> where are you in Dark Souls? Um, okay, so I went down this huge fucking ladder. Uh, I thought, <laughs> I, I'm in a sewer. Uh, there are rats everywhere. I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> like, you know, it, there, it's a much more sort of organic way to to go through the world when you don't have that sort of very clearly defined, like, sections to the world you know yeah no i i agree well and i I bring that up because i wanted to ask you two questions and i'll answer the same questions because i think that there's for people who are seasoned like player dark souls players and not that that i don't mean like good at the game i just mean you've played this game to death you absolutely adore it and you know it top to bottom i think there's different ways you can approach an appreciation for just specifically the world of uh, Lordran. Um, What is your favorite area to play in Dark Souls? And what is your favorite area lore-wise in Dark Souls? And if they're the same, that's totally fine. But mine are different, which is why I asked. Because there's just such a... It's such a... The environment, ask it that way because I know we've talked about this already, but the environmental storytelling in Dark Souls is so strong that there are places that I absolutely freaking despise to be in. Like the Duke's Archive, for instance. It's my least favorite area in the game, I other than maybe um, the Bed of Chaos down in all the way at the bottom of the Demon Ruins. Right. Um, I hate that area too, but like Duke's <laughs> archives is such a pain in the butt, but man, the lore is so rich there. That's, that's not my answer, but that's just an example. And just to set people up for why I'm asking that question. That, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I can go first if you don't know, want to think about it. Cause I, I obviously knew what I was going to ask. So, <laughs> um, but no, I think I, I, I think I got my answers here. Um, my favorite area to play through, I think, is Sen's Fortress, where 
I remember really on my first time through having a sense of like, oh, I'm finally starting to understand how this game works. Um, and since Fortress is such a good, like, every moment is slapstick, you know, whether or not that slapstick is against you or the enemies, it's <laughs> funny as hell. Um, and it became less about like, you know, up until this point, it's been a very combat driven game. And this is where it started to be like, yeah, but there's other ways to get through. And if you're clever, that can be better than being proficient at the combat, which at the time I really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, so I felt like there were a lot of good lessons and also like some, some solid fights, especially up on the ramparts. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's some, some good NPC fights up there. Um, before you move on from that point, because I know I'll forget it, I just have to say this. I think that that's one of my favorite things about Sin's Fortress is that like so many games are not okay. They will create new structures and ways to tackle games i feel like they literally crafted sends fortress and they were like you've got what you've got deal with it like <laughs> you move the same way there are no like press press x quick time events to like get around this thing or like dance through these things it's a it's just you just have to stop and take your time and it really is setting you up for the rest of the game because it is while it might not be you know after you beat an orlando Arguably, the game slows down to a considerable pace, but the enemies don't get any easier, and it really challenges you to like stop and think, like you were saying. It, it you really have to meet the game where it is to tackle Sen's Fortress. So, anyway, go on. Yeah, um, my favorite lore-wise, but maybe it might actually be my least favorite to play through, is the Cave of Humanity right before Manus and the the DLC. Mm. Um, I think that area is fascinating. And I think, like, starts to bring into question what you know about, like, the Age of Darkness or what humanity even is in, like, yeah. you know, in this sort of, in Dark Souls context, like, what does it mean to be a human? Like, what is humanity? Um, yeah. And it really forces you to confront that in a lot of really interesting ways. Um, from a technical perspective... It's really easy to get lost. There's a lot of places where you can slip off a cliff and fucking die. And I still feel like I don't have the area mapped out. You know, the humanity sprites are super interesting lore-wise. They're not that fun to fight. Yeah. They're huge, huge health drains for just running into you. And their hitboxes are also small. Yeah. So. And you don't get anything for killing them, which is also interesting lore-wise. But still. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I agree. That's a It's a neat area. Yeah. What about you? Um, my most... The area I have the most fun playing always is the entirety of Darkroot Garden, top yeah. to bottom. It is so rich and dense with, with like lush life. I love the mushroom men. I love that oh, there's dude. mushroom adults and children. <laughs> and it's just these weird like wombat cats that like mm -hmm. have no place in the game whatsoever. But somehow they do a just, sonic like, spin. Yeah. They, like there's, there's literally no reason for them to be there. Um, but the, I like it because like for as many different types of things there, I can always remind myself like this is like this is the forest of this world 
Like mm-hmm. this is where lush life and differences and things like that would would spawn from. So it's like it's cool when you're moving through this like rainforest type area to then confront many, many, many different types of enemies. Um and it literally a whole guild of people that have have founded themselves in, in around the forest, and it's the ability to like be stealthy and essentially mm-hmm. the the natives of of the of the woods. And it's and it's really cool to like to bump up against that. And then the lore is expounded on whenever you get into that DLC area, and it's cool walking through that. And it's like, oh, this was this in its heyday, and seeing right. these like the tree people there, did these become like the mushroom men? Did life evolve and become this other like form of being? Like how did that even come into play? Begin then, Or did that all start from like this Elizabeth creature that like disguised herself as this mushroom? Did life persist from her? Like there's so many questions and lore implications just in the forest that it's, it's hard to like move on from and say that anything else is my favorite to, to play through. Um, the, not to mention like that's where the entirety of the Artorias and Sif base game content takes place. And that is really hard to move past without saying it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, Sif is just a fun boss fight and makes me incredibly sad every time I have to, to fight that. Um, my favorite lore wise, however, also one of my least favorite places to to play through is new londo ruins yeah i that's love a great one. i love the idea of there being a, a norlando the city of the gods where gwyn sen aka the nameless king guinevere and gwendolyn the four like lords of lordran are reigning over this like the, the family of the gods, I should say, because I know there's like the four lord souls that's different than the, the gods, though. But then they instill four kings in the bottom part of the world in this new ruins. And then they mm. they effectively are just like, well, we don't have time to clear this out. Like the, the abyss is coming. We're really sorry. And like literally just like pull the plug, senselessly murdering like millions of of people and drowning the Kings in the abyss while they're swallowed by the abyss. And it's, it's just amazing. Um, I will, I would be remiss if I did not mention that my love for, uh, this area was not, uh, bolstered by some of the artwork and stories that were told in, uh, soul arts, the, Mm -hmm. the book that Vati put out, but uh, just incredible. Uh, there's a whole like story, and scene that was put together where it had Gwen crowning the four kings um, in like the celebration ceremony of the four kings and how incredible that was. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely love that area. I love that. I love that the thing, I think one of the coolest things about the, the flooding of New Londo ruins was that regardless the lore doesn't talk about it or not. I love that it was like successful. Like so many times, like there's this big thing that it was just like, we're, we're going to flood the world and murder thousands or millions of people. And it's like, oh, it was all for nothing. And that feels like something that would be like a, a moment of despair when it like, it didn't work. Oh my goodness. And it feels like that would be something like that would exist in perpetuity perfectly with like the story and like tone of dark souls overall. But like, f- in large, it worked. 
It, it, it worked, but it also like it, it is, I think, a lost city. It's a it's a failure in a way, and why I think New Londo is sort of hidden. Um, it, it's funny that I think now that you mention it, like this idea of you know these giant sort of atrocities in in cities being sort of swept under the rug is an idea that FromSoft has returned to a, a lot, actually. <laughs> um, you know, in, in Old Yarnum, in Bloodborne, um, it's, it is a, it, it's, I'm thinking it's top of mind because it's also a part of uh, Armored Core. Um, this idea of this massive sort of event being like, you know, shuffled away and sort of forgotten. And, you know, this sort of, hidden cost to the ambitions of the the god figures of this world um kind of you know being intentionally forgotten i think is really interesting no yeah i i just thought it was cool that like the reason i say like it worked because it's like the moment you drain the city Mm -hmm. Dark wraiths are starting to take over, and there's these slug monsters that are crawling out of the abyss, and there's ghosts that are you know, rising that from the like the deaths of the the millions of innocents that are down there, and that's what makes like the church thing I think so impactful because like think about it, and this is one of the reasons I love the lore not so much, but like you go into that church and there's like hundreds and hundreds of ghosts. Like, what's the safe haven in every town in the middle of like a massive event? Yeah, it's the church. There's people huddled in the church for safety in the middle of this flooding, and they all drown inside that church. And then you go in there, and there's like hundreds of ghosts that like just attack you from the walls. It's like that that level of like thinking is not something that you you could play this game a thousand times and just never come across. Right. But then like you approach it with that level of thought, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like that's it's insane. Like it's just yeah. it's so cool to 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 draw those like lore dots and. The yeah. best part about it is like none of that's confirmed. None of that has ever been like marked down. That is just something that people can come up against and go, that makes a lot of sense. And then mm -hmm. you know, carry it carry it forward into the, the annals of uh fan fiction. So it's just it's I love approaching Dark Souls with that question because like everyone just has such a drastic like difference in what they think about the lore in this game and I would actually challenge everyone listening that if you're in the Discord or if you want to jump in the Discord and answer that question, I would love I would love to hear about it. I would love to know what people's favorite like places to play and their favorite lore uh areas because of the lore. Uh, I guarantee you that 95% of the answers to that. Like you could ask the question this way, like um what's your favorite area to play through? And uh, what is your favorite part of the back half of the game? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe that's the maybe that's the case. Uh, yeah, I mean you're right. I'm, the I'm game is so so far. We're, we're two for fucking two, man. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I mean, it's just why does it have to be that way? Like, where was it a budget thing? Was it like what was it? Why? It's a, it's a <laughs> solid question. So, like, the, yeah, I, I think it's worth kind of getting into this a little bit. I mean, here's the thing, is if you're going to, like, if you're going to sag anywhere, I think it makes sense to, like, put all of the impressive stuff up front 
so that by the time we get into these areas like, you know, like the catacombs or like Isolith, by the time you hit that point, you have enough buy-in from the players to sort of like push through. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not even saying necessarily that they're bad, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Like 26 recycled skeleton butts, giant giant T-Rex butts hanging out in the lava. (laughs) That one. Look, I don't think there's a more baffling enemy in this entire game than the dinosaur butts in Lost Isolith. If anybody has any idea, I don't want it explained. I want this insane, stupid choice just to linger there for the rest of my life. I need that question in my life. Yeah, it it also did something that, like, I feel was kind of out of place. Because, like, the game has a, has a lot of ways to really challenge you with... Um, how you how you approach different segments of the game and says hey like you know you have a lot of agency to make decisions to to figure this out like really go nuts but like when you get to Lost Isolith at that point it's like if you don't have the orange char ring sorry dude like you're you're kind of screwed it's like it just it it felt a little out of place and I think that's probably that's why that it's challenging in those areas because like. You fall down in some of those holes and they get stuck and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in this like poison maze. And the only way to find out is that like completely unobvious route and like climb your way out from the tree root and it's stuff like that. It's just, it's insanely frustrating. The weird alien monsters with these giant vacuum Sarlacc pit heads. And it's like, it, it literally feels like they just wanted to make it as difficult as possible at some, at some points. But, um, the nice part about it is, by and large, if you stick to the main path, you don't have to deal with any of that frustrating stuff. But it's still worth exploring, in my opinion. Like, for instance, I'm pretty sure that's one of the only ways you can get... It might be the red Titanite slab that's down in there. One of those Titanite slabs that you have to have is down in that mm-hmm. impetuous pit of poison. Um, I think you might be right. Like, so, it's a cool, It's a cool design, and this idea of purgatory of being this like you know the the sort of um catalyst at this new attempt at you know creating life it's cool shit but i think maybe and i've been kind of thinking about it maybe one of the reasons that the back half of the game feels so anticlimactic or not anticlimactic but it doesn't feel like the levels are as impactful is that we go from you know, everything in Lordran up until this point was leading up to that chapel in Orlando. It was a huge one kind of connected path with these little branching things off of it. But each of the the Lord souls that you're after end the path entirely. You know, it starts looking a lot like the sort of level design that Dark Souls 2 does, where... You know, you're going to be in this level for the next 30 to 45 minutes. You're going to find a boss at the end. And at the, like once you reach the boss at the end, that's it. It's a dead end. There's nothing else for you to do here other than to warp back um, mm. to the Firelink Shrine and then find a new path to go down. You know, it starts feeling a little bit more like a conventional action adventure game at that point. Hmm. Yeah, I never really thought about it like that. That's that's probably why, absolutely. But I I also feel like it there's it's kind of a roller coaster cuz like mm-hmm. I don't feel like I feel like 
it really is Lost as a Lith that really got the short end of the stick. Like, yeah, it's well, yeah, a hundred percent. Because like, I don't, I don't feel that way when I make the you know the corpse run down to Nito, um, mm. twenty times. I don't feel <laughs> that way whenever I'm running down to through the Crystal Caves, but. I do feel that way when I'm in Lost Isolith. I just and maybe maybe it's literally just because the boss battle is so bad that it just like if you're out there and you've played the bed of chaos and didn't die a single time, I mean, good for you, maybe, but like I I don't think that's a thing. I, that's I, the I third shout out that we've given to somebody who's definitely not listening because they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Our audience right now is specific. This is targeted at people who are definitely not listening. <laughs> Dead or never existed is, is the never shout existed. outs today. Great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's the reason. But like, mm-hmm. even like, why is it whenever I clear all the lava from the pit and beat the ceaseless discharge? Shout out to that name. Um, hey. there's 47 Taurus demons just hanging out in a lava pit, you know, and I'm not here to crap on dark souls because like I had fun, I had just as much fun with that as anyone, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like you, <laughs> this was an enemy that a lot of people had a lot of issues with. And now you have to fight 20 of them. Oh, and by the way, now there's a, now there's a, uh, copper demon. Now there's two copper. Now it's three copper demons. Like just, uh, just some really challenging things that you have to overcome. Um, yeah, but the game is is teaching you that you've already done it once. You don't have a reason to fear. It's just another enemy. Like just kick its butt and move on. So there's a bit of that. I think there's also like there's a small tutorial. I think with the the Tauros demons that are all there. I think that's about learning how to like kite out enemies. If you haven't been able to do that yet, you know that's where true. They're paced almost kind of perfectly where. You can always get within one's aggro range without triggering another one. Um, so if you're careful and you pay attention to positioning a little bit, you can just do this little chain um, and and clear them all out. And I don't think they respawn. Um, but is that like you know the most clever placement in the game? No, you know, and and it's something that uh, the rest of the game doesn't deign to do when they put groups or mobs of enemies together, there's a, a reason for it. It makes sense in that enemy's design, you know, putting a whole bunch of soldiers together, one individually who flails wildly at you wouldn't be a threat, but four of them coming at you at once, all of a sudden this becomes a whole new problem. Um, yep. You know, the Taurus demon, you're right. It's a it's a huge lumbering boss that's meant to be fought on one, like one-on-one, you know, and and... So seeing eight of them feels inherently like a wrong design choice, I think. Yeah, I think I think one of the other things that makes that area so jolting, even outside the enemies, is the fact that like from soft up until Elden Ring, like you don't get big broad open spaces like that. Yeah. Ever. Like there's a lot of intentionality in the design that well, like when you it, you run down this hill and there's this, like, this flat open space with just enemies mm-hmm. all over the place, you're like, this I've never seen anything like this. Like yeah. so it just it feels off, it feels very strange. And then like as you're going down, that sets like a pretty a pretty harsh tone for like, and eh, this I don't know how I feel about this area. And then you get down to the bottom of it and it's like, okay, like here's a cool staircase with enemies. 
and then a boss. And then right after that, it's like you go from boss right to another boss. And it's like, okay, like yeah. world-wise, you know, that could happen, whatever. But like it just doesn't – it's a weird pace, you know, the game. Boss, bonfire, boss. And then like right into that, there's like this this – run into like this cavern to where it's like you're just navigating your way through lava try not to burn to death and it's it just doesn't it doesn't feel good um no i, I think you're right it. these places also don't have the same sort of interconnected feeling to a lot of the rest of the game like even when you're down in in blight town or whatever um you're still like directly next to the wall of londa or uh of uh anor londo or the outer yeah. wall of um the undead berg where you can look up and you're very far away from it, but you can see the open sky. And if you're in uh, the Firelink Shrine, you can look down and start to see like the top of uh, uh, Blight Town. Like it's easy to to geolocate a little bit, which makes the world feel cohesive. And you have kind of a north star even as you're navigating it. You can't really see any other parts of. Um, uh, the world when you're in Lost Isolith, and it's the same in the uh, in the catacombs or the Tomb of Giants. Like those places feel sort of disconnected in a way that the rest of the game doesn't. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. And and I don't. Okay, let me let me back up. <laughs> what I'm thinking about, like Lost Isolith and. Um, like the catacombs and things like that. It's funny with the things that I like, I'll mentally connect to outside of the bosses, like the, the weird enemies that like each one of these places mm -hmm. throws at you are always like a staple. So like immediately what comes to mind for me is when I think about the catacombs, I think of like those giant skeleton dog things. Oh like, God. What, what are those? Like what, what are those skeletons of? Like what creature have I never seen before that now now is long gone that has been reincarnated and in this strange fashion? <laughs> like uh, it's a giant sloth. <laughs> oh, I mean that that checks out. Yep, there you I go. Don't, I don't know, but that's as close <laughs> as I can get. <laughs> and then like um, the those weird like sarlacc pit head things with like the weird tentacles on their faces and like it, it's. It's funny to like when I'm thinking about those areas, those are the things that I connect with, but it's it's just because like there's not a lot else there to connect with. Yeah. Um and it'd be cool to like visit um the Tomb of the Giants with the whole thing lit up so I could see everything cuz that's another area where I feel like there's a lot of stuff I've never seen. Yeah. Cuz like the whole time I'm like hugging a wall or sprinting past an enemy that even on new game plus 7 I'm still <laughs> dying to multiple times. Um that's a great thought. That's funny. I wonder if Zoli or anybody like that has has done that before. I'm sure like, you know, just lit it up. <laughs> yeah. There must be uh, the there must be a a huge sort of modding scene for something like that because that would be really interesting. I mean, that's or you'd look around set. and be like, "Oh, this place is really fucking boring looking." <laughs> oh, that's why the lights are out. Oh, right. <laughs> We've all, we were shit. all there in college. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, areas touched a little bit on the lore. Um, let's talk about the bosses in this game for a minute. Like, 
I want to talk about the bosses and I want to talk about like the big important moments that like are unforgettable that like I know that are just like staples that everyone listening is like, yes, like I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. Um, and some of those might be the bosses too. Uh, what's your favorite boss in this game? Like not, we could ask the say we could ask it the same way as we did the, you know, the, the areas. Cause like I have different bosses that are favorites for lore reasons and I have different mm-hmm. uh, bosses that are favorite just for the fight. But I'll let you take this first too. Yeah. Well, I mean, for this one, it's the same for both. It's it's Ornstein and Smo. I think is like sort of for me in in literal and figurative terms the high point of the game, um, where it it is that kind of really powerful and immediately um, evocative imagery uh, between the two of them, you know. Uh, the the actual locale is gorgeous, and it's one of those fights that seems completely insurmountable the first time that you like approach it. It feels like a capstone, and mm-hmm. you know all this momentum that you've worked up until this point, all of these victories that you have under your belt, all of it for me at least kind of got dashed away in the first couple of t- of attempts when I just got my ass kicked. Like, yeah, I, there's no fucking way. You know, it felt like I was starting the game again. Um, and you kind of have to like recover that a little bit. You have to like find that drive to keep going. Um, and I think that was such a good like measure of how much you've learned up until this point. You know, it was a, it was a really bold choice, I think, to make that like the midpoint of the game. One of the hardest bosses, I think, in the game, um, because you could lose some people still at that point. But the the sort of check here is how much of the game's combat system have you learned? And have you learned like to to just keep trying, to keep that drive? Um, you know, I think it's a, a incredible fight for a lot of reasons. Um and it's it's I'm still chasing that high in a lot of ways from the Ornstein and Smo fight. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, I think my my favorite. It's I don't know. It's a it's a close because I want to say that it's okay. I absolutely adore the Artorias boss fight. Mm-hmm. It is. I think it is the first boss fight that you come up against. Um. I guess depends on how you're playing the game, but like all of them could be interpreted this way. But the reason I like the Artorias boss fight, it is just a get good, be better boss fight. Like this enemy doesn't have magic. It doesn't have any of this crazy stuff. He's just fast. He's aggressive and you just have to be better than him. I know that a lot of, a lot of bosses are, are like that, but like there's no puzzle to it. There's no, uh, trying to trying to work work your way around this little corner these pillars or this like use magic or use these items like there is nothing you can do that will bolster your ability to fight artorius other than just out swordsman him and i mean that in a like a figurative sense because like literally that's every boss in the game you have to figure that way out but like artorius when i fight him i feel that way i feel like he's always one step ahead of me i feel like he's he knows what i'm about to do and the only time that he 
that I get the ability to have the one up on him is he let he lets me have that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I even even though I I'm to the point now that I can go into that boss fight and beat him without dying, I feel like he's still better than me and that pisses me off that the game never lets me fight him in his prime. Like if the game can like give me that sense that like I got my ass kicked by this guy and I'm fighting him when he has one arm and is right. literally infected to death. Like it makes me yearn for like a stronger challenge and wish that I had the ability to fight something bigger and better and see what he was like in his heyday. And the fact that that boss battle can invoke like that level of emotion and knowing Artorius's backstory. And then when you beat him, the whole thing was uh, Lord's blade Siren and like the, the hidden love that they had and just like all that lore that's like poured in with him and Sif. It is so strong and so good. Um, and I know this was quote unquote DLC, but in my mind, Artorias of the Abyss, that whole segment, the, the DLC is, it was very much intentional to be part of the game at the beginning. I feel like it just wasn't ready yet. So they needed to, they needed to take that extra time. I think it's fair. Done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's probably my answer for both as well. But I, I do also really, really, really uh, like the Arnstein and Smo fight. Um, the reason I like it is because, um, obviously, all the same reasons that you, you've talked about. But I think what I like the most about it is it it has like there's no one set outcome to that battle. I like that it has different ways that you can, you can tackle it. And it's like, you beat Ornstein. Now you have to fight a more powerful Smo. If you beat Smo first, you have to fight a more powerful Ornstein. I think that's a really cool way to handle, um, having dual bosses as different outcomes for the way, the order in which you defeat them. But also like the, the type of drops that you get and it makes you like you beat one and you get, uh, you get something from Ornstein. You get his soul that you could take and get make a spear. You beat Smo. You get something you could take, and then it makes you wonder. In that moment, it's like, oh, maybe I should have done that differently. But there's no takebacks. Like, right? It it sets up that like question in your head, and no other boss in the game kind of does that. Um, it makes you feel that way. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, one that's of my a good f- point. Oh, go ahead. Uh, if you had something to say on that point, I was going to move on to uh, something else I liked about it, but. I was just going to say that the the amount of control that you can have in that fight, you know, once you've overcome it, once you've finally, like, bested it and can get it down, all of a sudden you can flip it a little bit and start to lead a little bit of how the fight is supposed to go and make, you know, more advantages for yourself depending on who you decide to focus down first. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's also cool from like the perspective of like just playability too, because like you come mm-hmm. across that question of, oh, I just got the soul of Smo when I killed Smo. Well, why didn't I get the soul of Ornstein? Oh, maybe I needed to kill him. And it like it makes you want to come back to it. Like it makes it gives an incentive to come back and play play the game a second time, um, outside of like just achievement hunting and things like that. Right. Another thing I really like about it is that. You climb, you literally climb the world to get to the land of the gods. You're just like mowing down like long-standing monuments and NPCs and guardians of citadels 
and silver knights that are meant to guard the castle. You get all up here to Ornstein and Smo, who are like the defenders. You tackle them and you get inside. And there's someone in there that pretty much just says, well done, good job. And it's like, what? Like, I was not, I was not anticipating a well done. I was like anticipating someone to be like, oh, um, I guess I surrender or something like that. And it just, mm. it kind of threw me off, like being rewarded at the top of this. So it like made me question when I was playing this going like, where, were they put out to die? Like, was I supposed to beat that? Like, why Why are you telling me good job when I just slayed your, what I assume are guardians? Or were they holding you captive? Mm. I, I don't know. I have no clue what's happening here. Um, so it just, it just made me, it made me want to find out more about the world I was in. And yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of people just kind of glazed over that being a video game, but me being a lore nut, I was, <laughs> first time I played this after that, you know, 30 hours I spent fighting Ornstein and Smo, getting to the top and being rewarded by whatever they were guarding for taking him down was very confusing to me. Um, after I got, I got done, uh, staring at the boobs. So, um, <laughs> well, what's great. I mean, what's funny is that you're absolutely like the game has instilled that kind of skepticism in you and it, you're absolutely right to question it. Like that, it feels like that reward doesn't make sense because it doesn't like Guinevere is an illusion that is being like basically just puppeted by Gwendolyn in order to get you to go away. Like yeah. don't look any further into this. Just here's the Lord's vessel. <laughs> uh, why don't you go kill my dad? That seems like a fun thing for you to do. Um, and fuck off. <laughs> no it's a, uh, it's it's just wild because like i'm sure there's a, a portion of people out there that don't even know that you can attack guinevere's yeah. illusion or even know that that's an illusion because like the game doesn't really give you any indication of that when other bosses in the game die they melt into this the same nothingness mm -hmm. that she does whenever you shoot her so who's to say you didn't just kill her or right. something like that um, so, and then whenever, like, I'm, I'm sure there's also a large portion of people out there that don't even know that there's a, a Gwendolyn boss fight, yeah. um, just because it's so obscure and easy to miss. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it's things like that, that keep people hitting walls and trying on items and reading item descriptions and just how hidden things are in these games. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I like I like that. I like that you can like it literally will change like the faction of the world to where the whole thing's dark now mm. and everyone's against you. <laughs> it's just it's so cool and so deep. Just the, the things it's that also, like you just don't even know. It's funny that that feels more right. Like that feels more at home, you know, in in this world. It is like, you know, coming up in in Orlando. I think you know is is a spectacular moment because it feels so different than everything else in the world. You know, it's this glorious giant cathedrals and the sun is always perpetually like at the golden hour. Um, you know, it's it's aesthetically pleasing in a lot of ways that the rest of the game has been visually interesting but not grandiose like this, not in its mm. prime like this is. Um and when you finally see that all of that is an illusion, 
it's funny that the first thought that I had was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> the ad scans. Yeah, and then you read into it and you realize that she is real, but she was banging a dragon and they took their kid and shoved her in a weird painting and just because they were ashamed of her. And it's just like, the, oh, God. I, okay, I read too much. Too, can I back up to where I didn't know any? <laughs> Good Lord. Um, I want to sort of bridge the gap between talking about boss fights and talking about incredible moments in this game. And that's, I, I think the Lord Gwyn fight is sort of, um, incredible for a ton of reasons. One oh, is, yes, yes, it's so a mechanically well. like brilliant fight. You know, there's no gimmicks. It's, it's very much like the Artorias fight that you were talking about, you know, um, it's just a one-on-one. Um, but the mood that's created by the run-up to this boss, um, you know, and the sense of, of decay and destruction in this area, um, accompanied with what has to be one of the, like, most iconic pieces of music in, like, this entire series. And that is, like, that is a high fucking bar. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I love that you talked about Lord Gwyn. And and I wanted to talk about this too, but like I I love I love it whenever I see people play Dark Souls that have played other Souls likes and like are really familiar with the combat scheme and they generally speaking kind of mow through the game pretty I don't want to say easily but they have a they have a pretty simple time with it and they get all the way to the end and they just plow Gwyn on the, like their first to second try. <laughs> And are just they're let down. Like mm-hmm. they are upset that the final boss was like such a pushover and are just like, wow, that kind of sucked. And I I just want to challenge those people who that happened to and are listening to this to like really think about like if you if you still think that way about this game, I wanted to let you know that I, that one, that is the intended experience. Like it is supposed to be that way you are supposed to just put Gwyn in the dirt put that miserable old <laughs> will absent crazed mind out of his misery because that's what he wants you to do and he's I, I wish more people looked into the lore of this because I, I, it is kind of an obscure thing to have to like dig up to really fully understand um but I love that the game is okay with that because its subtle narrative is more important in that moment than having a super challenging ending to it. And I think that all the Souls games are the same way uh, for the most part. Yeah. I think that what the story that they're trying to tell, even in its subtlety, is so much more powerful than... Uh, the experience that it's wanting to give you because if once you fully understand it it makes the experience incredible like i always approach the lord gwen fight with just a strong reverence uh Mm -hmm. for what what the meaning is now and don't get me wrong i still will have times where i'm very heavily challenged by that fight uh but all in all it's just because i'm not slowing down and i'm just i quote unquote thinking it's easy but yeah well i think one of the things that we've kind of touched on but maybe haven't stated explicitly is that like in all of these sort of you know 
conventional video gamey kind of things, you know, where there's like, you know, a, a, a lava world and there's a catacombs level and there's a sewer level and whatever. Um, Dark Souls picks out these kind of moments and really intentionally to sort of subvert expectations, you know, when they keep going underneath the sewer level into something even lower and there's something even lower underneath that. That plays incredibly well if you understand, like, basic video game conventions um, because it's playing against them. And I think Lord Gwyn is sort of the starkest example of this. We all know what a final boss fight is and what it's supposed to feel like. It's a culmination. It's an exit exam. It is like, you know, everything that the game is leading up to is right here. What is the music supposed to sound like in that moment? You know, it climactic gigantic it epic in its scale um and even if you don't haven't read any piece of like lore in the game you have no idea what the fuck is going on um when you step into the arena with gwyn it's hard not to get you know a very different sense just based on the music and based on the environment like this isn't this huge epic battle it's sad it's melancholy um and if you start to ask why, you'll either construct a narrative of your own or you'll start to go back through the game and, and put some things together. But, you know, that's one of those, like, you know, incredibly powerful imagery um, without any exposition behind it. You know, it's it's the mood that it's created there. Yeah. No, I agreed. Like, <laughs> I will... I frequently load up the Dark Souls soundtrack and listen to this and yeah. uh, more frequently the Dark Souls 3 soundtrack for this the sub portion of of that and eventually I would like to get to the point where we could talk about Dark Souls 3 on, mm -hmm. on this show um, but I think I needed a couple more runs for that but I think I think my favorite thing about Lord Gwyn that fight is that for all the reasons like you said that a final boss battle is supposed to feel like a final exam I very much feel like Lord Gwyn feels that way still once you understand what the final boss of this game is telling you, what the narrative is is sort of leading to. Um, and I think that's why I have such a strong respect for FromSoft is because even for those people that felt like the final boss might have been lackluster because they don't fully understand it, and you don't have to to, to enjoy this game. I'm, I'm not dogging anyone for that that fact. What I mean is it's it's bold to take that stance and then still have so many people coming away from your game without that understanding of what's truly going on there and still able to just have such a strong connection and love for what this game has accomplished. And then for those people who do fully understand it, that like come together and that like that sense of community and the sense of uh, like the perpetuity and the story that is brought forward by like the linking of the flame and what that does to you and the, and the hollow status and all of that. And it is, it's so strong and it mm -hmm. pushes, it pushes you to want to, to keep going and try again, get a new ending, uh, look, look for more, look for more things like the, the covenants and what they mean and dive deeper into how those stories connect. And I think that by finishing dark souls 
for the first time and getting through that and then clearing Gwen and going, well, I don't know, like what, why was that so easy? What's, I, I think it's meant for people to ask those questions and really want to know more as to, to what was going on. I think that um, if, you, if you're out there and listening and haven't done that, um, go do it. You know, I would challenge you to you know play the game you, a few more times before you start. If you're out there Nazis. listening and haven't played this game, you should do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's a pretty large percentage of people that played through the game and didn't quite yeah. grasp. I the, think you're. I think that's the first time that we've addressed people who might actually be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Took us two hours to get in. <laughs> no, it's just. I just, I don't know. I, I, and I think it's just me. I think I'm, I'm overly emotional when it comes to this game and I want more people to, to think about it the same way that I do. Um, but I think that like all in all, this game is just like, it's a slow burn for a lot of people. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people I know that have played this game and went, yeah, I really like that. And then like a year later, I talked to them and they're like, dude, the more I think about it, I literally cannot stop thinking about Dark Souls. Like it's, <laughs> it's just eating at me. And I want, I think I'm just, yearning for that type of conversation and uh amongst everyone that i know so um but no play play this game and play the lord gwyn battle and uh that level of like just depression and i don't know it's it's just so good i want to plin plin plon all night long now so (laughs) (laughs) um did you, was that your first ending whenever you first finished this game? Did you link the flame or did you walk away from it? No, I linked the flame. I didn't realize that there were multiple endings the first time I went through this game. And uh, I I think maybe at that point, I didn't have a good enough sense of the world to recognize that there are other options um, or even to really understand the implication behind what I was doing, you know? I've been touching bonfires all game. There's one last bonfire to touch. Let's touch it and keep this fucker fucker moving, you know? Yeah. Um, And I will say that now, having been through the game as many times as possible, um, I I choose to walk away every time. I am in the same exact boat. I love that that's the same (laughs) conclusion that we come to. And I I think it's important to recognize what, what you're there's no other game that like to me where that decision just feels so impactful and so informed mm-hmm. like i whenever i walk away from that bonfire i am choosing to put to rest all the woes and the sadness of all the all the people that i've come ac- across that are hollowed who are distressed who've been murdered and are walking around living with just the undead stain on them. I'm just choosing to put it behind them because of the horror of the world that I've just, I've just walked through. And I love that. I don't just choose. I didn't choose that just to get the achievement. I love that. Like the world makes me empowered to make that decision. Um, and, and makes me feel like I made the right call for the good of, you know, the people of Lordran. It's crazy when you can take the evil ending and you feel like it's the best way out for everyone. I feel like Thanos. <laughs> it's, it's cool. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I think the, the game does an incredibly good job of um, not, you know, moral choices. I think we've talked about this the ad nauseum on this podcast, but I think moral choice, you know, systems in games 
up until this point have been so rudimentary to the point of not being interesting at all. Um, Mm -hmm. This is the first one that actually feels like it is a moral choice. And there are, I think, lots of people who, you know, want to link the fire. And I think you could make a, a solid, like, philosophical argument for why that's, you know, that's okay. That it's better to continue the struggle, even in the face of futility, rather than to to put it all to rest. Um, you know, I, that's what makes this game interesting to talk about, is that there isn't really, I think, signposted one good ending and one bad ending. Even though, like, there were a bunch of, of reviews and stuff and, and guides, I think, when this game first came out that sort of it painted them with that broad brush. I don't think that's an accurate way to describe it. Well, I think it, I, I think it's funny because I think even if knowing what I know now about this game, I think that walking away from it is the good ending and linking no, the I, flame is the bad ending. Uh, I because, I agree. It's better to let something else start than to hold on to like you know this thing that has clearly lived past its prime. Yeah, I lo- I don't know. I like I said before. I, I was just about to reiterate yet another way of how I feel like this game makes me. The more I learn about it, the more informed of a decision that I'm able to make. But like, it's it's funny how there's a sense of there's a sense of strong evil once you're really deep into the game and you're really like striving after these covenants and things like that. There's a strong sense of like evil around like letting the flame die out. But what I love mm-hmm. most about this is like the story that this, the legend of Dark Souls and the story that the game builds up to you paints, like you mentioned at the beginning, this epic picture of these gods and dragons and the formation of the world and man and the the hero of Lord Gwyn persisting. And then you get going and you realize quickly, well, I shouldn't say quickly, but about halfway through that like, I'm going to end this. Like my goal is to kill this this God that is perpetuating the age of man. And it's like, why am I, why am I doing this? Like you're Mm -hmm. constantly battling with that, that back and forth. But by the time you get all the way to the end, like I love the idea and I, you know, this there's paintings and uh, I should say metaphorically, this is painted throughout like some Greek culture and um, other uh, prominent, like, uh, mythological uh religious ties i don't really know how mythologies i'll just say it like that but like the idea of like there being this all-powerful being and whenever you finally confront him he is burdened by the weight of the world that he's created and is literally torn down just maintaining it to the point to where you are there challenging him because of what he's done for you and at the end of the day, you topple him and it's an easy fight because he's bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I, I cannot get past how emotionally challenging the conundrum this game presents you with. Like, I know it's not presented that way whenever you challenge, but that's, that is exactly what's happening. Um, and so many people are, and rightfully so, have the agency just to glaze over that and play the game. But I love how... That's where Dark Souls sets itself apart from other games. Mm-hmm. When no other video game gives you the ability to dive that deep into the lore and make your own decisions 
and you're not ever wrong and you're not ever challenged and you're not, well, I shouldn't say challenged in that sense, but like you're not, there's nothing telling you you're wrong. This isn't what it is, but it allows you to become more intimately connected with everything that's there. Because if you stray off the path, there's always more that you can find to put you right back on, but never to tell you that you're wrong in a, in a weird sense. I've learned a lot of that while I'm reading through Abyssal Archive because um, it's all interpretive. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the story of, and it's, it's a great place to like wrap up the conversation talking about the 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 moral the morals and ethics of of toppling Lord Gwyn, but mm-hmm. I, I could write a freaking paper on this. Like it's uh, it's just so good. It's so deep. It's 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 amazing that they were able to capture that level of emotional depth just with some old easy fight at the end of a video game. Yeah, and without a word of dialogue, you know, it it is all I think in that mood. Um, if, if you don't look into the context of what's happening, it's hard not to get a sense of the intended experience just based on how it's presented, um, which is really interesting. Um, you're not given a choice as to whether or not to kill Gwyn, but you can, you know, I think this is sort of what you're talking about is that the game won't, you will basically have to decide on a reason why you're doing this. And if that's purely mechanical, because that's what it takes to get to the end of the game, then that's fine. If you've also had a sense of, like, who this character is and what their actions have brought and are continuing to perpetuate, you know, then there's there's a justification there. If you also feel sympathy for him, like, there's, there's justification there as well. Um, the game's a mirror in a lot of ways. And that final confrontation is sort of where that reflection sort of comes to a head, which is a terrible mixed metaphor, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't have said that better myself. That is, it, it's, it's just impactful. Like, mm-hmm. like everything else in this game, it is just impactful. I could spend hours talking about the intricacies of like the painted world and, and the other portions of the DLC that this, this game tackles with Manus and dealing with the struggles of humanity versus love and how Dark Souls and in all of its essences is a is a love story in all facets like there's so much to tackle with this game that we will never ever have the time to talk about and I the reason I wanted to talk about Dark Souls on this podcast is because this game is truly bottomless in what it offers, and I I want this to be something that we can continue to come back to and expound on and discuss and have fun with because I don't think we're going to stop playing it anytime soon. We're still going to go back to it and revel in all the glory that Miyazaki and his team put so much love into, and they continue to reference and discuss, and hopefully we'll revisit one day in the form of um, more more of this of this amazing world um and not necessarily in the video game genre just more yeah uh, yeah so i I'm, think that i think there are touchstone like mediums or pieces of media that everybody has and revisits throughout their life like i go back and reread the book house of leaves like every few years um and i'll go back and watch like neon genesis every couple of years i'll go back and play dark souls every couple of years as well and every time that you interact with those pieces of media 
I find some new fundamental difference in how I'm experiencing it. And I know it's because, you know, I've changed. I'm in a different point in my life when I go back into those. And because Dark Souls gives you so much quiet time, so much contemplative, like, traversal time, um, it's hard not to just be alone with your thoughts in it. And I, I think it is it is a meditative experience in, an, in a uniquely kind of positive way. You know, and I think that's why it's one of those things that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Well, I think that's a that's as good of a place to wrap the conversation on Dark, <laughs> Dark Souls as any. Uh, I mean, it's just a if you've never played it, just play. Don't don't let the don't let the challenge intimidate you, because it's been proven time and time again that anyone can do it. We don't tell you to get good because we're gatekeeping you. We're telling you to get good because whenever you do, you're, it's just, it's like a very, there's like a strong community around the people who have tackled this game and we want you to be a part of it. So thanks for coming on us with this two episode journey and, um, we hope you give it a shot. So, um, yeah, play Dark Souls. Any, <laughs> anything else you want to add to the, to the Dark Souls piece? Uh, Cause I feel like you just had a. I don't think you're going to get as good of a sum up as you just had. So No, I mean, also play <laughs> Armored Core 6, which is infinitely better than Dark Souls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't you mean Front Mission? <laughs> I do. I do mean Front Mission. If you can get Front Mission 3, call up uh, Michael's grandfather and he'll... Oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, I don't know if I'm going to ever emotionally cover from this episode. Um, well, you say that every time. <laughs> yeah, but not on air. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this time I beat it, Max. <laughs> um, so in closing for this episode, um, I promised everyone in the last episode that we would be giving away a copy of You Died. Um, and I am many things, but a liar is not one of them. Um, (laughs) so the only specification or, um, the thing you had to do to be a part of this uh, giveaway was to be in our discord, go into the episode discussions thread and find the thread on dark souls. And you just had to, to literally just, uh, emote. That's all you had to do. Just leave an emote and I will pick a winner from, the people who emoted there. Um, I did see that within that, uh, the list of people who emoted, that there were some people that super reacted, some people that don't have um, uh, Discord Nitro, so you can't super react. That's okay. I was not looking for that. Uh, I removed my Max and myself uh, from the running, as well as uh, Party B, who is also works for Tuna Fairweather, so that would not be, be fair. Um, and I had come up with the uh, username of Ray, uh, R-E-Y. So if you're out there and you are Ray, um, I've already messaged you at the point in time this Discord uh, or this episode has come out, so congratulations. Uh, you've, I know it's sketchy giving a random guy on a podcast and a Discord your, your home address, but if... <laughs> Uh, I'll message you in a DM and get your information so I can get you out a copy of You Died. I hope you're going to love it. Uh, it's a great book and um, really excited to be able to get more of the Tune and Fairweather projects into the the people of uh, 
the people of our discord and there's a lot of overlap between our fans and the the fans of tune and fairweather so um really excited to be able to give to give a copy of that book away yeah congratulations ray and uh if you can ever explain to me why you chose your last name to be skywalker please message me because i have no fucking clue nobody wants that joke in here max get out of here <laughs> it's just gonna it's just sitting there it's true star wars has has I, I'm sure that they're used to it, but Star Wars is, it, it's kind of like my last name being Bonner. It's like, you know, I've heard the joke. I get it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, the other things I want to, I want to discuss, uh, trying to have more episodes on time ready for you all, but, uh, I potentially have a big move coming up. So if we are late again, I do apologize. The podcast is not going anywhere. Max and I are not forsaking our love for video games anytime soon. Max has a big travel trip coming up so there might be you know miss some missed episodes uh on the docket coming up so don't uh don't freak out because if i do happen to, to get this house it'll be right around the same time that max is on his uh official honeymoon so congrats congratulations on yet another marriage max and thank you enjoy yet another <laughs> <laughs> just racking them up b <laughs> and enjoy that trip so if we're if we're late again until we give an official notification, the show is persisting. So don't uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be here. Um, if you could, please, 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 please go to your uh, your podcasting app and leave us a five star review or a review of any kind. We would prefer the the higher ones, but those things help us so much with uh, discoverability and just getting more people out there that love Dark Souls, that love uh, Armor Core. Whenever I eventually play it, I'm sure we'll we'll touch on it on this podcast. Max will yes. probably murder me if we don't. Um, <laughs> but just like-minded folks that love video games like we do and love listening to the the deep conversations that we're able to to have, it's going to help find more of those people, which in turn will grow our Discord community and we'll be able to do more giveaways and things like that. Uh, we don't make any money off the show. We don't run ads on the show. We don't ever intend to do that. Uh, the only advertising that we do on the show is uh, I will occasionally mention Tune and Fairweather, but that's because I work there and I, I believe in the product and the, and the books that we bring forward. And then I'll casually mention our Patreon just because we have a big studio with a lot of projects that really uh, deserve your uh your attention for you to look at um and are i believe are, are worth investing a couple dollars in every month so um if you could leave us a review that'd be fantastic uh patreon.com slash 13 palm trees is how you can uh, financially support pay uh post game content what's cool is that of all the podcasts that we do all, all the youtubers that we have all the photographers that we have the money that comes in uh, first and foremost goes to paying our studio fees, but a portion of that every month is distributed to a, to each of the creators that we have under our banner. Um, it's not much, but it's honest payment. So uh, we would we appreciate any anything you guys can give. And because the way post game content is tied into that, if you're a fan of that, uh, we have our sticker of the month club at ten dollars a month. That a lot of the stickers that we give away are PGC centric. Um, on there there's some dark soul stickers that are actually in in printing right now we have three or four of them that are ready to go uh they're pretty pretty freaking awesome um shout out to covid lazuli and our discord for the art on those me and him have worked together on on those those are fantastic um 
And then also early releases for all of our content. Usually about a week to week and a half early, you'll get these episodes um, along with all the content that we put together. And then if you like this show, check out Video Game Mythos, which is another show that I do. Um, and then also there's Under the Shade, which has various members of the 13 Palm Trees crew uh, on it, just discussing random topics, life events, just whatever we want. Um, it's, a fun, it's a fun time. And uh, we'd appreciate you checking those shows out, checking out the Patreon, see if it's worth it. But most importantly, we really just appreciate you being here and listening and uh, hanging out and talking about video games. Um, and on that note, Max, thanks for <laughs> joining me for yet another episode of uh, listening to me fangirl about Dark Souls. I know. <laughs> I, all It's funny because everything that we've talked about, Max and I have talked about one-on-one or in groups for years at this point. Yeah. It feels good to be back in the saddle, though. It, it does. Putting, putting pen to paper on Dark Souls is something I'm, I'm passionate about. So it's mm-hmm. never, never going to get old and I could do it again and again. So. Final final thoughts, closing words. Ooh. Um You know what? I'm in the spirit of post-game content, Michael, I'm gonna give you the last word here. Weird. <laughs> uh Tears of the Kingdom is incredibly mid. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>